Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. citizens from participating on a platform where even the president speaks and and it's essentially you have a private privately owned public space uh, if, if i could use an analogy that would be most apt and you've set rules that are not recognized by the u.s in fact when it came to a supreme court hearing they said hate speech is not a violation it's actually protected free speech so there's actual odds so there might be someone who says i refuse to live by any other means than uh, what the supreme court has set down that means i have a right to hate speech you will ban them that means your platform is so powerful it's, it's being used to manipulate elections, and you have rules that are not recognized by the government to remove American citizens from that discourse. So as a private platform, you've become too powerful to not be regulated if you refuse to allow people free speech. But let's talk about learn to code, right? And, and why are people being suspended for t- tweeting hashtag learn to code? Yep. We, we did some research on this. Yes, we did some research on this. Um, so there was a, a situation, in, I guess, about a month ago or so, where uh, a number of journalists were receiving a variety of tweets, um, some containing uh, learn to code, some containing uh, a bunch of other um, coded language that was wishes of harm. These were thousands and thousands of tweets being directed at a handful of journalists. And we did some research, and what we found was uh, a number of the accounts that were engaging in this behavior, which is tweeting at the journalists with this either learn to code or things like day of the rope and other coded language, uh, were actually um, ban evasion accounts. That means accounts that had been previously suspended. And we also learned that there was a targeted campaign being organized off our platform to abuse and harass these journalists. That's not true. So see, see, here's the thing. An activist who works for NBC wrote that story and then lobbied you. You issued an official statement, and then even the editor-in-chief of The Daily Caller got a suspension for tweeting Learn to Code at the, da- at the Daily Show. So I have never talked to anybody from NBC about this issue, so I'm not right, but sure. They re- no, so they report it. Don't misrepresent me. They report it. The narrative goes far and wide amongst your circles. Then all of a sudden you're seeing high-profile conservatives tweeting a joke getting suspensions. So, again... Some of these tweets actually contained um, death threats, wishes of harm, other coded language that we have seen to mean um, death to journalists. So it wasn't about just the learn to code. It was about the context that we were seeing. Can we come on? That's that's just not true. That's just not true. The editor-in-chief of the Daily Caller was suspended for tweeting nothing but hashtag learn to code. So, Tim, can can I finish what I was saying? Yeah. So we were looking at the context, and what was happening is there were journalists receiving hundreds of tweets. Some had death threats, some had wishes of harm, some just learned to code. And in that particular context, we made a decision. We consider this this type of behavior but dogpiling, which is when all of a sudden individuals are getting tons and tons of tweets at them. They feel very abused or harassed on the Come platform. On. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 10th of March, year of our Lord, 2019. And that was Google. Yabba dabba doing about their policies, and I thought it was really good. Um, They also did a gender pay gap check and found out that the whole time, you remember we have that gentleman who wrote how they do everything only for your, you know, intersectionality scorecard. The higher you are, the more you get paid, they treat people better, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's a true statement. A Daramore guy was right because they found that they had to pay 
10,677 employees, $9.7 million to make it even, and they were males. I could go into the full transcript on this, but it's it's unbelievable. Rogan, give them credit, literally kind of press them that, no, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. So, today, of course, we have Omar, a lot of Omar. We have our intersectionality scorecard. I made it finally. And we have a great news of social media nuggets and a lot of 2020, and we just got a lot of stuff. So let's just get on into it. YouTube also is going to start doing fake news checks. So if you put up a video and it doesn't conform to the intersectionality world, there'll be a disclaimer that it's fake news. Yeah. But social media is not biased at all. Which is why you'll find that I'm going to be editing the ending today. I'm killing my Facebook account, so thus I can't keep a flyover politic Facebook, because I'm just done with it. A, nobody talks to me anyway. I mean, what I post, A, I ate this, nobody fucking cares. The 500 friends I have, I don't talk to any of those people. <clears throat> Army guys don't talk to me, high school people don't talk to me, nobody talks to me. Except for my wife, so why would I keep this stupid thing going, especially when it's fulfilling... The liberal mantra. So, And then on top of that, the grand jury returned 16 counts, 16 felony counts against Jesse Smollett. The media fucking ignored it. Just totally fucking ignored it. And I was just in shock that they did. Uh, Two other things up front, and we're doing our show different today. We're going to go into hate tweets. Then the violet left, which, you know, I didn't say that because that's just part of every show now. And that'll be the Omar. Tennessee did a fetal heartbeat bill, 65-21. I love Tennessee. That's why I live here. I love it. I'm really glad they did it. And last but not least, there is a picture floating around on Twitter and other areas of Elizabeth Warren in the political news section of the New York Times, and it looks like she is speaking to her audience. I mean, they are enraptured. This picture shows why the New York Times is just a fucking rag, man. It's just a fucking rag. They don't even try to be non-biased anymore. They are just all in on the liberal agenda. So, that's our upfront shit. Let's do some hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! Okay, so now you're not sure he's obstructed justice? Personally, I think he has, but we, okay. have, to, we have to look and see. If we're going to do anything, you have to have proof. Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence, but we have to, we have to get a lot more so evidence. So that's what this is about. You don't yet have part, proof. That's part of what this is about. Democratic Party officials have rejected requests from Fox News to moderate one of the Democratic presidential debates. Party chairman Tom Perez is citing a story in the New Yorker magazine referencing this channel's relationship with President Trump. The story alleges this channel has become a, quote, propaganda vehicle for the president. Perez said in a statement, Fox News, quote, is not in a position to host a fair and neutral debate for our candidates. Here is a statement from Fox News senior vice president and managing editor Bill Salmon, quote, 
quote, we hope the DNC will reconsider its decision to bar Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, and Martha McCallum, all of whom embody the ultimate journalistic integrity and professionalism from moderating a Democratic presidential debate. They're the best debate team in the business, and they offer candidates an important opportunity to make their case to the largest TV news audience in America, which includes many persuadable voters. I think that's classic. The whole CNN or the whole, what's the difference? Democrats won't do a debate on Fox. Really. I'm going to play two sound bites. One was just this week, CNN dogging the president because he hugged a flag. And then Brian Seltzer jerking off about this, thinking it is the greatest thing ever. Ever since the flag hugger in chief did this the other day. The president holding and murmuring sweet nothings to the stars and stripes has led to strife. Who does that? If that flag could tweet, did it say hashtag me too? The one man's grope is another's patriotic caress of old glory, which the White House glorified by tweeting a photo captioned America and Donald Trump Jr. Instagrammed, oh hell yes. Supporters posted, aw, I love when he hugs the flag, makes me teary. We hug our precious flag that stands for so much, the other side burns it. I believe that is the first time a flag has ever volunteered to be burned. Colbert concocted a softcore commercial. Are you physically attracted to flags? Just can't keep your hands off? Then call today. Kimmel also flogged the flag. Now you can own a piece of history. A flag embraced by the President of the United States. Gaze proudly upon the orange stain left by the President's bronze face. In real life, you actually can buy vinyl stickers of the presidential flag embrace as well as posters, but some would rather unsee it. And someone else turned it into a sail that's capsizing a boat. Critics pointed out that President Trump isn't the only flag-loving leader. That's Venezuela's former President Hugo Chavez planning a smooch on his flag. Snuggling with the stars and stripes is nothing new. President Trump is a serial flag hugger. He's done it around half a dozen times, but at least he's consistent. He only walks his arms around the American flag. But recent reporting in The New Yorker on the inappropriate relationship between President Trump, his administration, and Fox News has led me to conclude that the network is not in a position to host a fair and neutral debate for our candidates. Therefore, Fox News will not serve as a media partner for the 2020 Democratic primary debates. So that's the statement from uh, the DNC referring to the reporting in The New Yorker. Uh, Fox News has already come out and expressed regret about this decision, uh, saying that they hope the DNC will reconsider. Uh, I'm going to call the light leader that at zero percent. But here's the statement from Bill Salmon, who heads up the D.C. Bureau. He says, we hope the DNC will reconsider its decision to bar Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, and Martha McCallum, all of whom embody the ultimate journalistic integrity and professionalism from moderating a Democratic presidential debate. Uh, so that's the statement from Fox. But look, Brianna, if we're realistic about this, it is true Fox has journalists like Brett Baer who, who do a good job. 
but every night in prime time, uh, Democrats are dehumanized. Uh, they are attacked relentlessly by Fox News primetime hosts. It was always hard for me to imagine a Democratic primary debate taking place in those hours uh, when figures like Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are constantly demonized and attacked. Uh, so the Democratic National Committee now making that official and saying we'll have nothing to do with Fox in this primary season. You know, my recollection is totally different than Brian Seltzer's. And I just did a quick Google search, which is totally liberal, but a Google search. These are just a few of the debates. We have Crowley inserting herself and defending Obama. We have Stephanopoulos in the middle just bringing out a a contraception that had nothing to do with the subject. Democrats have always got a fair shake. They've gotten assistance from our media during debates. Maybe on Fox they'd have to ask a god answer a goddamn question. I think it's interesting the president just said something which which is that on the day after the attack he went to the Rose Garden and said that this was an act of terror. You said in the Rose Garden the day after the attack it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transcript. He did, in in fact, sir. So let me me call it an act of terror. Can you say that a little louder, Danny? He did call it an act of terror. It did as well take... It did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct this, about that. The administration, the administration indicated that this was a, a reaction to a, to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It, did. it took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. And, and to suggest, am I incorrect in that regard? On, on Sunday, the, uh, your, your secretary, your, excuse me, the uh, ambassador of the United Nations went on the Sunday t- television shows and, and spoke about how this was a spontaneous I'm reaction. Happy, I'm happy to have a longer conversation about Absolutely, but I want, I want to move you on. And okay, also, people can go too. to the transcripts. I just want to make sure that uh, yeah, all these wonderful folks are going to have a chance to get some of their questions answered. Because what Romney, do you believe that states have the right to ban contraception, or is that trumped by a constitutional right to privacy? Uh, George, this is an unusual uh, topic that you're raising. States have a right to ban contraception. I can't imagine a state banning contraception. I, I can't imagine the circumstances where a state would want to do so. And if I were uh, a governor well, of a state or a, le- or, 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 a le- or a legislator of a state, I would totally and completely oppose any effort to ban contraception. Uh, so you're asking, given the fact that there's no state that wants to do so, and I don't know of any candidate that wants to do so, you're asking, could it constitutionally be done? We can ask our constitutionalist here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Congressman Okay, can, come on, come on back. asking you, do you believe that states have that right or not? George, I, I, I don't know whether the state has the right to ban contraception. No state wants to. I mean, the idea of, of you putting forward things that states might want to do that no one state no state wants well, to do and asking me whether they could do it or not is kind of a silly thing, I think. Governor, you went to Harvard Law School. 
as you know very well, has the Supreme Court decided that the states do not have the right to provide a contraception? Yes, they have. In 1965, Connecticut. I believe in the that the law of the land is as spoken by the Supreme Court, and that if we disagree with the Supreme Court, and occasionally I do, then we have a process under the Constitution to change that decision, and it's it's known as the amendment process. And, and where we have, for instance, right now, we're, we're having issues that relate to same-sex marriage. My view is we should have a federal amendment of the Constitution defining marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, but I know of, of no reason to talk about contraceptions. Contraception is a Supreme Court decision finding a right to privacy in the Constitution. I, I don't believe they decided that uh, that correctly. In my view, Roe v. Wade was improperly decided. It was based upon that same principle. And the, in, in my view, if we had justices like Roberts, Alito, Thomas, and Scalia, and more justices like that, they might well decide to return this issue to states as opposed to saying it's in the federal Constitution. And by the way, if the people say it should be in the federal Constitution, that instead of having unelected judges stuff it in there when it's not there, we should allow the people to express their own views through amendment and add it to the Constitution. But this idea that just should that be done in this case? Pardon? Should that be done in this should case? Should this be done in this case to allow states to ban contraception? No, states, states don't want to ban contraception. So why would we why would we try and put it in the Constitution? I, my, with regards to gay marriage, I told you that's what I would amend, amend the Constitution. Contraception. It's working just fine. Just leave it alone. <laughs> well, I, I, I understand that, but you're still, you're, you're, you've given two answers to the question. Do you believe that the Supreme Court should overturn it or not? Do, do I believe the Supreme Court should overturn? Do I believe Supreme Court should overturn Roe v. Wade? Yes, I do. Megan Kelly's really biased against me. She knows that, I know that, everybody knows that. Do you really think she can be fair at a debate? So most likely, I won't be doing the debate. Let's see how much money Fox is going to make on the debate without me. Trump is not used to not controlling things as the, as the chief executive of a large organization. But the truth is, he doesn't get to control the media. I have no conflict and no bias against Donald Trump. Um, and I really do hope he comes to the debate because I think he would, he would, it would behoove him to stand there and be tested next to his fellow candidates. You come women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account... Only Rosie several. O'Donnell. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure. I have no respect for her. I don't think she's very good. I think she's highly overrated. And she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions and... You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. And I made the statement, blood was pouring from her eyes. And then I said, blood was pouring from wherever. Uh, I wanted to get on, so I stopped rather than saying nose or ears, because that's a very common coming from eyes, nose, ears. That, these are very common. And what it means is that a person is angry. Mr. Trump did interviews over the weekend that attacked me personally. I've decided not to respond. Mr. Trump is an interesting man who has captured the attention of the electorate. That's why he's leading in the polls. Trump, who is the front runner, will not apologize. And I certainly will not apologize for doing good journalism. So I'll continue doing my job without fear or favor.
neither one of us wanted any sort of a war with Donald Trump. You know, and we didn't think that benefited the channel. We didn't think it benefited me. And we don't think it benefited Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump would say that now. Debate. My great concern is that we are on the verge, perhaps, of picking someone who cannot do this job. What is your biggest weakness, and what are you doing to address it? Well, John, I don't really have any weaknesses that I can think of. I trust people too much. Not really seeing myself in that position until hundreds of thousands of people begin to tell me that I needed to do it. Well, gee, after the last debate, I was told that I didn't smile enough. <laughs> But I'm not worried about my finances. I'm worried about the finances of everyday Americans who today are struggling in an economy that is not producing good paying jobs while everything else costs more. Whose fault is it that Medicare is broken out of money, that Social Security is broken out of money? And I say, look, it's not Republicans' fault. It's not Democrats' fault. It's your grandparents' fault for having too many damn kids. <laughs> Tell me what's different between we, the government and Bernie Madoff, who sits in prison today for doing less than what the government has done to the people on Social Security and Medicare in this country. Let's tell people the truth. For once, let's do that and stop trying to give them some kind of fantasy that's never going to come true. When you signed up for this, this was a six-year term, and you should be showing up to work. I mean, literally, the Senate, what is it, like a French work week? You get like three days where you have to show up? I don't remember you ever complaining about John McCain's vote record. The only reason why you're doing it now is because we're running for the same position and someone has convinced you that attacking me is going to help you. Well, I've been Here's the bottom line. I'm not... My campaign... Would you feel more comfortable if your employees brought guns to work? Yes, I might feel more comfortable. I would say that I would, and I have a permit, which is very unusual in New York, a permit to carry, and I do carry on occasion, uh, sometimes a lot, but I like to be unpredictable so that people don't know exactly what <laughs> I love Donald Trump. He is a good man. I'm wearing a Trump tie tonight. Get over that one, okay? <laughs> we're, we're clearly not having that beer you mentioned, um, but I'll give you 30 more seconds. But, but I'll to buy a tequila. Okay, all right. Or, or, or even some famous Colorado brownies. <laughs> I'll give you 30 seconds to respond. <laughs> if somebody put me on their homepage, they did it without my permission. Does that not speak to your vetting process or judgment in any way? No, it speaks to the fact that I don't know that it's going We have $19 trillion in debt. We have people out of work. We have ISIS and Al-Qaeda attacking us. And we're talking about fantasy football. I'm the only one on the stage that has a plan that would create jobs, cut taxes, balance the budget and couldn't get it done because I'm realistic. You just don't make promises like this. Why don't we just give a chicken in every pot? You find a Democrat that's for cutting taxes, cutting spending $10, I'll give him a warm kiss. I do not want to walk my five grandkids through the charred remains of a once great country called America and say, here you go, $20 trillion of debt. Good luck making something out of this mess. I want a government so small I can barely see it. 
I want a government so small that the individual has a chance to thrive and prosper. I may not be your dream candidate just yet, but I can assure you I'm Hillary Clinton's worst nightmare. And in your heart of hearts, you cannot wait to see a debate between Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina. I will tell you this, I will be Hillary Clinton. And, and why did it morph excuse into me, that? No, did me. you? No, answer the question. Why do you, you still believe? You I do. me all the time. Why don't you Would interrupt you please her? explain whether or not the Muslim ban still stands? I was against the war in Iraq. Has not been debunked. And you voted for it, and you shouldn't have. Well, I just want to There's been lots say, of fact-checking on that. Me. I'd like to move on excuse to an me. online question. She just went about 25 seconds over her time. She Could I not. just respond to this, please? Very quickly, please. We're going to move on to Syria. Both of you have mentioned that. Well, she said a lot of things that we, you, you I mean, I think we should we can, be allowed no, to maybe Mr. Trump, we're going to go on. This is about the audience. Because she has been a disaster as a Mr. Trump, a we're going to move on. Thank you very much. We're going to you move know, on. Funny, she went over a minute over, and you don't stop her. When I go one second over, it's like you had many deal. answers. It's really, it's really very interesting. Got a she said irredeemable. They're irredeemable. You didn't mention that. That's just a short one, man. I could have gone on for a really long time. I really could have gone on for a long time. Um, I, I just, I don't understand. But it's not surprising that 99% of CNN people think Trump is colluded. That just came out. There was an actual, I have a soundbite. It's from Chuck Todd. But it literally, they did a poll, and they showed on Fox, less people did. MSNBC, more people did, but CNN was the capper. CNN literally thought, 99%, that he is guilty, even though there's no proof. Guilty. So if there's a place we should not be doing debates, it's probably on CNN, because they give a huge leg up. For Democrats. I don't know, it's a long soundbite, but I mean, that's just a few, man. I could go back to Reagan. I mean, my entire adult life, the debates are a farce. They're just made to make Democrats win. That's what our media does. Fluffball interviews, softball questions, debates are, we're going to side for you all the time because you're our friend. I mean, the last cycle, we had Donna Brazil handing questions to Hillary. From CNN. But the Democratic Party, of course, wants to go there. Yeah, Tom Nichols. Going to weigh in on an issue of treating each other with contempt coming this Saturday in the USA Today. I couldn't find the article. I'm going to try to find it for the next podcast. Because Tom Nichols telling somebody, I mean, he's a liberal. You have the contempt. We don't. Um... Then Nick Miroff brings us some facts that makes me angry. That's why they're in the hate tweets. The claim that the border crossings are near historic lows is simply no longer true. February stats will show another huge increase in families with some days topping 3,000 detentions. We are at a level of unauthorized migration not seen since GWB. 70,000 immigrants were detained last month. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. 70,000 were detained. What got through? I mean, I read one where we only catch 60%. That means a shit ton of people, 50,000 people, got in. But there's no emergency on the border. That's what the media is going to tell you. Even though the New York Times and WAPO have now run articles saying, yeah, there's an emergency. It's pretty bad. 
David Corn brings us what always happens with the media. I'm amazing how bitter and quick to battle some conservatives are. Yesterday I reported that I had spotted an anti-AOC graffiti in the Phoenix airport of all places. And right-wingers got crazed and accused me of making this up. That's crediting me with a good sense of imagination. I didn't want to post a pic of a graffiti because... That would be spreading the work of a deplorables. But here's a pic showing where it occurs with the message blacked out. No doubt disbelieving conservatives will still call this a deep state plot. Oh well, it was in black marker that could be wiped off. I know because I tried. Following me and I can DM a pic. Thanks. Stephen Miller. Hi, Phoenix Airport staff. Per their Twitter account, can't locate the graffiti. Sky Harbor. Thanks for the follow-up. Our facility team checked the restroom in the area last night, and although they didn't find anything, these restrooms are checked and cleaned several times a day. Somebody said you need to send a cleaning crew to his imagination. He's lying. He's fucking lying. And what's up with the reporter? I mean, Mother Jones broke some big story this week. Using deplorable. Isn't that the terms of Hillary Clinton? Deplorable. Hmm. To our tweets of the day, California's second super bloom in two years transforms a desert into wild flower wonderland. When I was stationed there, 2004, they had the wildfire bloom. It was a wet winter into spring. It was beautiful. There were yellow flowers everywhere, and it was just shockingly beautiful. I just want, that's why I wanted to put them in the tweets today. Then this guy named Gavin Purcell, I have no idea who he is. Your mom just announced she's running for president in 2020. What's her campaign slogan? And somebody came up with the top 20, and I thought these were good. Dow, don't bounce the ball in the house. <laughs> That's her campaign model. Don't tell dads, number 19. Number 18 is honor the past. Did you hear who died? Number 17. Fighting for hungry and malnourished. Did you eat? <laughs> 16. Something's wrong with my iPhones or motto. 15. Healthcare spending will come up. Did you get a physical this year? 14. Fiscal responsibility. I'll love you whatever you do, but don't expect me to fund it. 13. Global warming is real. Is it me or is it cold in here? <laughs> Making hard decisions. Inside or outside? Pick one. Number 11 is no deficit spending. I have a coupon. Number 10, the importance of education. Use your head for more than a hat rack. Number 9 is pro-choice. I brought you into this world. I could take you out of this. (laughs) That's a good motto. 8, change we can believe in. This is a new menu from the last time we were here. Number 7, a strong military is important. Don't make me get the wooden spoon. Number 6, not all campaign messages are verbal. No words, just a long drag off a cigarette accompanied by an eye roll. Number five, take out the garbage before you go. Three, two, and one. Because I said so 2020, and I think that's a good motto. We're going to play our tweet of the day. It is Joe Concha and Tucker talking about this banning of Fox News. And we're going straight in to our vital left. And we got a bumper. Oh, it's a good one. Whatever you think of CNN, Caitlin Collins is a great person. Defending her was not a tough call. Then the White House briefly banned CNN correspondent Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta is not a great person. 
He's awful. Ask anyone who knows him. Still, Fox News stuck to principle. Even awful people ought to be allowed to cover the White House. Fox immediately filed an amicus brief supporting Jim Acosta's return to the White House press pool. Acosta got his credentials back. You may dislike Fox News, but there is no question about this channel's commitment to free speech. We defend speech, even when it's unpopular, even when the person speaking has attacked us personally. Free expression is bigger than any one person or any organization. It is the very heart of this country. It's the foundation of all other freedoms. We really believe that. CNN and MSNBC do not believe that. Yesterday, the DNC announced that Fox News has been banned from hosting any of the Democratic Party's 2020 primary debates. DNC Chairman Tom Perez went on television to explain that Fox News simply isn't a real news organization. Fox defended CNN's right to cover the White House, to cover American politics in the form of an amicus brief on behalf of, of Jim Acosta, who's very hard to defend, but on principle we did it anyway. And now Fox has been banned from hosting Democratic debates and they're gloating. Tell me how this works. Well, for one, Jim Acosta has called Fox state-run TV on several occasions. Chris Cuomo just did this week, uh, as has its senior chief media correspondent. Uh, so, yeah, as you said, it's not returned in kind. Just one thing to correct you on your monologue. You said that CNN had shared a debate question um, with the Clinton campaign, a single singular you, you mentioned. Actually, that happened twice at two different town halls, one that they sponsored with another news organization, one that they did solo. So this happened twice through Donna Brazil to the Clinton campaign. Campaign. So it is interesting to hear them That's talk about. I didn't even know debates. that. I mean, that doesn't get a lot of coverage from their media critic. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Late today, the House overwhelmingly approved an anti-hate resolution. This was sparked by recent comments by freshman Democrat Ilhan Omar, who suggested that Israel's supporters in the U.S. have split loyalties. House Democrats proposed a resolution condemning anti-Semitism, but later broadened it to oppose all forms of bigotry. The vote was 407 to 23. Republicans cast all the no votes. Some said they wanted a resolution to specifically condemn Omar's comments. Now to Capitol Hill, where the House late today passed an anti-hate resolution after remarks by a freshman Democrat were criticized as anti-Semitic and left the Democratic Party divided. Our Casey Hunt has the latest. Explain to them. Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar tonight. Are you going to apologize? Refusing to answer questions about comments many in her own party are condemning as anti-Semitic. Remarks sparking a vote late today on a resolution condemning hate speech. Does she need to apologize? Well, they may need to explain that she did not. It's up to her to, to explain. Uh, but I do not believe that she understood the full weight of the words. Omar under fire for past tweets, including Israel has hypnotized the world and saying U.S. politicians support Israel because it's all about the Benjamins, baby. She apologized for that. But then this comment last week. I want to talk about the political influence in this country 
that says it is okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. Many Jewish Democrats outraged. Jews have dual loyalty and can't be patriotic members of the country in which they live? Words matter. The firestorm sparking a deep divide among House Democrats. Some progressives defending Omar. And Mary Ocasio-Cortez on a different subject, part of a new struggle inside the Democratic Party. She's defending her fellow freshman Ilhan Omar, who had made some comments that were perceived as anti-Israel. Now the leadership in the House is, is trying to pass a resolution taking on anti-Semitism. Yeah, George, this is exposing a, a real family feud, a generational and ideological divide between sort of the old guard, the older, more established House members, House Democrats, and these younger freshmen, more liberal members. At issue here are these comments by Representative Omar that critics say are anti-Semitic, and, and whether she's being singled out. We know that the House is going to be voting tomorrow on this formal condemnation of anti-Semitism, but it's largely seen as a rebuke of Representative Omar, and you are seeing so many of those, of those fellow freshmen coming to her response just exposing this, this real divide in the Democratic Party. Which is why they may broaden it out to anti-Muslim bias as well. Okay, Mary, thanks very much. That's just ABC. We're going to play NBC or yeah, NBC and MSNBC, and we're going to play CNN because they're the fucking capper. But this shit is hilarious. So once again, when we left our last podcast, Omar showed that she's an anti-Semite Islamist. I've been saying it forever. She's an Islamist. She's not an anti-Semite. She wants Israel wiped off the face of the earth. She wants America wiped off the face of the earth. She's an Islamist. But the intersectionality scorecard is ever-present in democratic politics in our media and in our lives. So it starts with Sasser attacking Nancy Pelosi as a white feminist. I'm not going to read it because I have sound bites actually now. I didn't when I got this. Uh, all the people that are the liberal loons, like Sarah Rayo, some rando, I'm going to unfollow anyone who posts anything positive about Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is a white feminist. White feminists are white supremacist. Nancy Pelosi is a white supremacist. And if you idolize Nancy Pelosi, you might as well be David Duke. Yeah, there you go. Got a David Duke for a Democrat. Woohoo! Jake Sherman. Pelosi just told us she did not think Ilion. Minnesota comments were intentionally anti-Semitic. By the end of it, because I'm not going to read it, it's capitulated to, she doesn't understand words. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. She says it. She doesn't understand the words she's saying or words that could be terrible, because that's really not what she meant. So she's spitting because she's getting bitch slapped by the forward-facing Democrats, these new young guns that are here to save the world. Natalie Johnson, all three headlines naming Eon Omar and the WAPO are in defense of her, and then becomes the media spin. So it starts with CARE and the Women's March, then the media gets on board. These are Washington Post ed- editorials, and news, and politics. And there's a fourth by the time it's done. The dishonest smearing of Eon Omar. What are we smearing? She's anti-Semitic. Democrats' criticism of Eon Omar suggests little room for diversity on Israel. That's another one. The intertractability of Eon Omar's identity and Trump's condemnation of her comments. Oh, it's Trump's fault. By the very end, because we'll get there in a second about what they passed and the 23 Republicans did not vote for it. Most of them Jewish because it's a sham. It turned into everything but Eon Omar. 
WAPO runs with Republican, managed to get Democrats out of a jam by showing the GOP's true true colors. That's not an op-ed. That's a news article. The GOP's true colors. That's interesting. New York Times, Ian Omar said things that are offensive and inappropriate. She's also the victim of a double standard. Jill Falapafakfakanik. As usual, Michael Bellick has exactly right on Ian Omar's anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and racism, which should tell you all you need to know about Goldberg's piece. But just in case you need further confirmation that it's hot garbage, here you go. So I think Omar deserves criticism. Criticism, however, is not the right word for what she faced. As one of the first Muslim women in... Oh, there it is. Stop. Full stop. Not reading the rest. She's higher on the card. She's a Muslim. She's a woman of color. She's black. She's a victim. A victim. Salon. Demonizing Eon Omar. Why the entire political establishment wants to crush one woman. Slate. If Israel's most devout U.S. backers are so concerned over dual loyalty smears, they should think more carefully about how they're encouraging them. The nation. Representative Ian Omar is under attack from the leaders of her own party for anti-Semitic statements she never made for anti-Jewish prejudice she never expressed for hatred of Jews she doesn't hold. Oh, really? You're going to stick with that? Ben Shapiro, the New York Times resident anti-Semitism expert who once created a map of Jews by congressional districts to push support for the Iran deal, sounds off. Jonathan Weissman. If one dares to criticize Israel or dares to criticize APAC, one gets branded anti-Semitic, said former Representative Brian Bard, who became an APAC critic after a constituent was killed by Israeli army bulldozer. That's a danger to Democratic Republic. The story was meant to start a serious conversation about the strength of APAC and the stifling of policy debate. You know, nobody does these stories on PPFA. There is no political group that has more power in our country than PPFA. Than maybe CARE. I'm sorry, CARE does, because we're going to see that in progress. And APAC doesn't even donate that much money. So what are we talking about here? Politico. New Tim Alberta. Eon Momar says Obama hope and change was a mirage. Recalling the caged of kids and the droning of countries around the world. On Obama's watch, she argues, he operated within the same broken framework of Trump. Let me try to get to the point outside mainstream. Yet they face resistance, not just from party elders, but for many of their fellow freshmen centrists who campaign as fixers, not firebrands. Moderates who are watching wearily as a Democrat brand is being hijacked by the far left. But wait, there's more. As she saw it, the party essentially committed to progressive values have become complicit in perpetuating the status quo. Omar says the hope and change offered Barack Obama was mirage, recalling the caged kids at the Mexico border and the droning of countries around the world on Obama's watch. She argued that Democratic president operated with the same fundamental brokered framework as his Republican predecessor. We can't be only upset with Trump. His policies are bad. But many of the people who came before him also had really bad policies. They just were more polished than he was. And that's not what we're 
we should be looking for anymore. We don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. We want to recognize the actual policies that are pretty behind the pretty face and the smile. By the end of this, she literally says he's full of shit. Exhibit A of how reporters distort words. I'm an Obama fan. I was saying how Trump is different from Obama and why we should focus. Here's a soundbite. And then the soundbite, well, I'll just read Nate Silver's. If one of my reporters filed that story and then I heard Eon's tape, I would say had quite accurately described and contextualized her position. She did say it. She ended up removing the soundbite. But her purpose was to say, I never said it, but she did. And to show you that because she's a Muslim Islamist, she's higher on the intersectionality call, uh, checklist, she is good to go. She got to tell, say the dear one's a piece of shit and he's no better than Trump. He's just more polished. What does this woman have on people? That's the question nobody's asking. Because she can get away with a lot of shit. Vice does this huge one. I'm not going to go into it, but it's a really good... I will say journalistically it's really good, even though it's slanted hard left. It pulls all this in and goes through all the different articles and all the things and the arguments and the hit lists. and It's amazing. But why I grabbed it... Everybody came to her defense. Talib, who we're going to cover after this. Eon, Minnesota's strength inspires me in so many. She's being targeted just like many civil rights icons before us who spoke out about oppressive policies as she uplifts my city, S-I-T-Y, and other Palestinians in the name of justice and peace. She shows us real courage. She's an Islamist, too. Of course she's going to say that. AOC, I'm pretty heartbroken that there isn't more denunciation of this outward and blatant expression of bigotry and Islamophobia by a state party. One of the things that is hurtful about the extent in which reprimand is sought of Eon is that no one seeks this level of reprimand when members make statements about Latinx and other communities. During the shutdown, a GOP member yelled, Go back to Puerto Rico! Nobody in the media called her on that. Nobody. Chuck Todd? No. Jake Tapper? No. Yeah, they said go back to Puerto Rico because you all went to Puerto Rico, dipshit. But she tried to play it off once again as anti-Latinx. Representia Anya Presley. The inhumane racism and death threats thrown at my friend Ian Omar are acts of terrorism, period. We will overcome these threats to our humanity just like we've done time and time again. For total disclosure, some idiot made a picture of 9-11 and put her on the front of it. I think it's pretty accurate, to be quite honest. And then somebody said, assassinate Ian Omar. It was found in Michigan. In a bathroom. That's why David Korn did his AOC one in a bathroom. So that's the entire world's doing it. Oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Let let's let, let's get in MSDNC. Here's MSDNC because you got to hear the media with this. It's a lot of sound bites, I know, but the media is playing for them, knowing all along the money shot is coming. We're literally going to have care showing they pushed all this, and a civil rights gentleman. An African-American from the Black Caucus saying he let the cat out of the bag that it has nothing to do about Jews. Fuck you, Jews. 
You're too low on the intersectionality scorecard. You're not important. Uh, right now, she's got other problems mm. to deal with, which is, of course, delaying till tomorrow, we now understand, this resolution over uh, the comments, the controversial comments by Ilhan Omar, the freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, and the, the whole conflict, uh, generational as well, among Democrats as to how tough to be and pressure from the Republicans to uh, really make this a very tough vote for uh, yeah. just in writing um, the resolution. They had to amend it last night. The comments by the congresswoman are not the first comments. Uh, w right. What's behind that, do you think? What, where does that stand, um, especially as Nancy Pelosi is trying to sort of keep the Congress moving forward on, on a high level, and yet they keep sort of tripping up on, on comments or missteps by, by somebody, especially this congresswoman? What happened here? Well, this, she believes this, and she was... She's stepping into a new role. These freshmen, a number of them, are stepping into a new role and don't fully understand all the dynamics. And she certainly uh, stepped right into it by, in, in essence, repeating a, a trope that questions whether you can be um, committed to supporting Israel in you know, international relations and whether that questions your allegiance to the United States. Now, that said... She herself has been the subject of racist uh, protests. West Virginia, there were signs against her suggesting that she was somehow linked to 9-11 because she's Muslim. So there have been anti-Muslim, uh, you know, terrible th comments as well. So that's how they were trying to combine that into the resolution that was written about the anti-Semitism. And look, this also comes after Pittsburgh, after growing anti-Semitism. Right. We hear this from the Southern... Um, uh, uh, the law project uh, excuse me I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the the group in the south which tracks anti-semitism and other mm -hmm. racist uh, and uh, ethnic slurs around the country this has been a terrible period with the rise of anti-semitism since charlottesville really and yep. you see a lack of leadership in the white house speaking out against all of this so none southern of this poverty has been law center southern poverty law yep. center the great work that they and indeed um, now she has support today from aoc alexandria octasio uh, cortez tweeting today that one of the things that is hurtful about the extent to which reprimand is sought of ilhan is that no one seeks this level of reprimand when members make statements about latinx and other communities during the shutdown, a GOP member yelled, go back to Puerto Rico on the floor. Uh, Jonathan? Yes. She's got a point. Well, yes, she does have a point. There's always, there's, that's, this is not to say that the controversy surrounding Congressman Omar is, is not legitimate. But there seems to be selective outrage. And when it's been coming from the Republican side of the aisle, the Republican side of the aisle is, is mute. Uh, they don't hold their members accountable for anything. Belatedly on Steve King, much right. belatedly, much years bel too late. Decades too late <laughs> on Congressman Steve King. So um, I think we can, and I think Jen is absolutely right, that when you get into the motivations of people, that's where you get into trouble. And I think the other area where Congresswoman Omar gets into trouble is, remember, she's a freshman member of Congress. She is part of this class of activists that are, that are making the transition from the streets to the inside, to the halls of power. And there's a whole, a completely different way of behavior, of ways of doing things. And what we're seeing now in real time and uncomfortably is she is learning, or at least I hope she's learning what, like what she's going through and how she can still 
you know, change her behavior without changing how she thinks or what she believes. The controversy has brought focus to a deep divide, perhaps even a growing divide within the Democratic majority. The New York Times reporting the issue has touched off a furious debate between older House Democrats and their young liberal colleagues over Representative Ilhan Omar as being singled out for unfair treatment over her statements on Israel. The pushback from Congresswoman Omar saying, isn't it not allowable to criticize Israel in any way without it being called anti-Semitic? Furthermore, she has been the target of some anti-Muslim attacks from outside folks as well. And there's this general feeling of how hard do you want to, you know, pile on one freshman congresswoman? Republicans are trying to make a big issue out of this. They're trying to keep the spotlight on this. Congresswoman Omar is one of those young rising stars within the party. It's just another distraction from the things they're trying to do in the House. Democrats would like very much for this issue to go away. Well, it's very, it's this obviously a very tricky issue, and I'm, you know, it's been difficult to engage in uh, from a reporting standpoint and even a commentary uh, standpoint. I do think you're right. There is obviously a long-standing anti-Semitic trope about dual loyalties, and whether she intentionally did it or not, she played on that. And uh, for a lot of American Jews, that has been offensive, and it's been disheartening to watch um, the difficulty that politicians have had dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And I do think, finally, this is not whataboutism, although it's going to come off that way. Uh, but there is and has to be a better understanding of the degree to which um, anti-Muslim behavior isn't just rhetorical, but it permeates our politics in ways that people don't totally appreciate. So you mentioned that there's condemnation for anti-Muslim sentiment and remarks, and that is true. But we have to step back and realize that a huge policy uh, that Donald Trump implemented was literally called a Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. And he pushed it and made it into law, and it went but, through but, the Supreme Court. Sam, was, we, 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 I, Sam, we I, understand and that. I mean, and, and, and you've condemned and, it, no, no, but, 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 but half I'm of the country has embraced it. talked about that. Yes, Everybody's talked country, about that in the media. The Democrats know, have talked about it. of the country it? literally embraced it, and the Supreme Court uh, certified its legality. And so I think for a lot of people, there is not an equivalency here. I think they okay, look I, at I'm this sorry, and they say... I've got to stop you there. The Supreme Court... I'm sorry. The Supreme Court did not actually endorse a quote Muslim ban. In fact, those quote Muslim bans were overturned twice. It was only when the ban was made uh, 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 faith neutral that the Supreme Court allowed it to be passed. Right. Was, the origins it, of the it, ban it was, was overturned a repeatedly. Ban. Okay. What's that? Yeah, okay. Put, put, let's say that, yes, you're right about that. But still, you can, uh, you can acknowledge that a political party led by the now president rallied around a literal ban of Muslims. And I don't think that you can actually create an equivalency so between what, what, does that, what, does that, what does that have to do with a Democrat, a freshman Democrat, continuing to engage in anti-Semitic tropes? I mean, by my way of thinking, the Democrats would want to follow Michelle Obama's advice. When they go low, we go high and actually show Americans there is a difference between Republicans and Democrats. No, I don't, disagree with, I, don't disagree, I don't disagree with that at all. What I'm trying to say yeah. is that the degree to which we've internalized anti-Muslim bigotry, because it now can take the form of actual legislation that a but party endorses, well, it's law. We it created a law, basically. But, but, but Sam, we have not 
embraced yeah. anti-Muslim bigotry. In fact, it is called out every day. I would suggest it's one of the reasons why Democrats won, because of Donald Trump's uh, misogyny, because of Donald Trump, because of Charlottesville and his attitude towards uh, uh, non-white Americans, because of his attitude towards Hispanics, calling them breeders, because his yeah. hatefulness towards Muslims, whether it was a Muslim ban or the Muslim registry or what he did to a gold star family because the American hero happened to be a Muslim. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, Willie, I'm missing something here, but it just doesn't. This is not hard. This is not hard. You can uphold the values of the Democratic Party. You can condemn not only anti-Muslim behavior, but anti-Semitic behavior in Republicans. Like, again, well, just this past week, uh, Jim Jordan. Yes, that same Jim Jordan put a dollar sign uh, for an S in Tom Steyer's yeah. name. Why? Because he's Jewish. The same thing with Kevin McCarthy who brought up three Jews and said, look at these Jews, basically, in a tweet. Look at these Jews with their Jewish money trying to buy a Democratic majority. I mean, it, it is out there, and it needs to be condemned, whether it's from the right wing, the left wing, or people in the middle. Yeah, this is not hard, is it? Well, it is hard if you look at that meeting that Politico reports on this morning where there was some back and forth between Nancy Pelosi and the freshman members of her caucus, and they walked out of there without a resolution, delaying the vote on it because Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe they've settled the matter. It seems to a lot of us like it ought to be an easy thing to do, and as I said, as we have on this show, if you can condemn Donald Trump rightly for the things he said after Charlottesville, if you can condemn that disgusting poster that was inside the West Virginia State House that showed Congresswoman Omar in front of the burning Twin Towers, then you can condemn anti-Semitism when you see it. Yeah, I want to get back to Sam on this. So, Sam, hold that thought. We will get back to you. Um, just sort of, and bottom line here, a trope is a trope is a trope. And you got to yeah. learn when you might have mistakenly said it. We'll get back to you on this and continue this conversation, but we need to get to this next story and our next guest. In a three-hour hearing on Capitol Hill... Yeah, I could then play CNN. I'm not going to because you've heard enough. CNN's 15 minutes, just of a few things I found. We're just going to play Cuomo because he's perfect. But Jim Clyburn then comes out. Jim Clyburn's defense, Ian Omar, experience is more personal than Jews who had parents in the Holocaust. Did, what? What? The Hill reports Clyburn came to Omar's defense Wednesday lamenting that many of the media's reports surrounding the recent controversy have omitted mentioning that Omar, who was born in Somalia, had to flee the country to escape violence and spent four years in a Kenyan refugee camp before coming to the United States. The article quotes Clyburn, Clyburn as saying, there are people who tell me, well, my parents are Holocaust survivors. My parents did this. It's more personal with her. I talked to her. And I can tell you, she's living through a lot of pain. And it's recent. The Federalist did. Top Democrat tells Holocaust survivors to check their privilege. His full quote. And there's... Her experience, Clyburn argued, is more, much more empirical and powerful than that of people who are generations removed from the Holocaust Japanese internment camps during World War II and the other violent episodes that have marked history. I'm serious about that. There are people who tell me, well, my parents in Holocaust, blah, 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 same thing. But they, it was more in-depth. Because they are getting hounded 
by the new far-left people that are actually running their party now and care. Melanie Zanona leaving CBC meeting. Members formed a circle around Ian, Minnesota, and Marcia Fudge literally stuck her arm out to prevent reporters from asking her questions. Then a few members hugged Omar, including Al Lawson. And while that's going on, well, guess what? Linda Sarsour runs her fucking cunt trap, and here you go. They're like blocking the door. Okay, we just need some of the supporters to actually be able to get Blocking the door. There you go. Right here. Go ahead. Donuts? What's your favorite? Come on now. You want to be rude? T, T, you, you, you stepped on me. Look what you did to my paper. Look what you did to my paper. Exactly. So why are you touching me? Why did you block the door from me? Why did you touch me? Why everybody hanging out with you? Why are you jumping? You're the one who's rude and touching me. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I mean, you body block, you lock the door, you step on my door. You're grabbing me, you're stepping on me, you're pushing me through. You want to be part of the group. You're not invited. Right. So why are you pushing through? Where are we right now? Why are you pushing through? Are we in the U.S. Congress? Is this, a, is this the United States of America? Right. Is this a free so country? Go, it is free. Go do your so own why did you block the door? Hmm? Oh, no answer. I get his back. So this is the United States. <laughs> Come on, let's take a photo. That was care. I'm standing here in front of the Council on American Islamic Relations. I think this is a different time now. And so I am asking you during Women's History Month if you all would start um, Facebook fundraisers for the Women's March in honor of Women's History Month. And that would, it's really simple, it's really easy. Um, and we, it would just mean for you to go online on your Facebook, start a fundraiser, click on Women's March, um, and raise $100 for the Women's March, $150 for the Women's March. We're really coming up to some really important work, and as you know, the Women's March has been a target um, for many um, opposition groups, and um, we can only do this work with your support. And it's International Women's Day today, and I felt like today was the right day to call on folks to do it. All the Women's March board will be raising our own money online, and it would be a great cause if you all just started a little fundraiser on Facebook for $100, $200, and all that money goes to the Women's March, to our programming for the year. As you know, we're going to be doing mass voter registration around the country to gear up towards 2020. Remember, 2020 work doesn't start in 2020. It starts right now. Um, so I would, uh, I'm asking folks to do that, friends, our supporters, you know, the Women's March, we've been through some rough times. Um, and if you know anything about this past week, and I'm going to give you some ideas um, of what we did this week. So many of you know that our sister Congresswoman Ilhan Omar was under attack. And, you know, being able to mobilize 
um, uh, progressive leaders across the country to sign on to a letter to organize a press conference in support of Ilhan Omar, to call on the Democratic leadership to actually expand the language of the resolution to include condemning all forms of bigotry, because that's the kind of movement we're a part of. We are, the Women's March is a movement that is uh, unequivocally um, rejects all uh, forms of um, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, and, and that's what we called on the Democratic leadership to do, that in our lifetime we made history with a resolution that is going to be in the public record for life. So CARE protected her. You heard reporters trying to get in there. That's a very long soundbite. I cut it down to just two minutes. It was like six minutes. And it literally shows she couldn't be touched. And by the very end of all the Clyburn stuff, she won't be targeted. We're going to target those people who had her pictures on the Twin Tower, Clyburn says. This resolution is going to be inclusive. It's going to be expansive. And might try to add something to deal with that billboard that's up in Pennsylvania this morning calling John Lewis and other members of the Congressional Black Caucus racist. They spun it. They got it out. All of them then started tweeting, where's the outrage over the 23 GOP members who voted no on a resolution condemning bigotry today? Oh, there's none. Did they get called out, raked over, ambushed in the halls, and bluntly asked why not? Oh, no? Okay, got it. Ryan Savandre, even Jewish members of Congress voted against it. Most of them did it on principle and took to the floor and said, no, I'm not voting for your bullshit bill that you let the committee that Eon Omar's on write and you rewrote it to say every other group but anti-Semitism. There's a great soundbite of a Republican talking about it, but here's a Democrat. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Let's all be honest with each other. Uh, We are here today right now because of anti-Semitic rhetoric from one member of this chamber said again and again and again. We would not be on this floor right now otherwise to discuss this topic. If that member was a Republican, that member's name would be in this resolution, and this resolution would be all about condemning anti-Semitism, and it would be done so forcefully. That member in January had to apologize for talking about a hypnosis of Israel that they have over the entire world. That member had to apologize in February by saying that if you support Israel, it must be because you're bought off by Jews. That member called it an unequivocal apology, even though she filled it with equivocation. And now we're back again, this time by saying that if you support the U.S.-Israel relationship, that you must have pledged allegiance to a foreign government. Except this time that member is refusing to apologize. Even if you gave that member every benefit of the doubt that she had no idea what she was doing, why now wouldn't she be apologizing? Why would she be more emboldened to refuse an apology altogether? I apparently uh, am giving Rep. Omar more credit than uh, the Speaker is because I don't believe she is naive. I believe that she knows exactly what she's doing. It is an American value, by the way to have reasonable, legitimate criticism of a government, whether it be the U.S. government, Israel, or any other government. It is not an American value, though, to be hurling anti-Semitic rhetoric. Anti-Semitism must be condemned unequivocally and emphatically. 
We have members of this chamber who associate with Louis Farrakhan who says, quote, Hitler was a very great man. Let's talk about a double standard. In January, we all came to this chamber. We condemned white supremacy. We named a Republican member. We kicked that member off of his committees. He can't serve on the Small Business Committee, but this member will continue to serve on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. But no, now... We can't come here and just emphatically, solely, forcefully condemn anti-Semitism and name names, but if it was a Republican, we would. It's time to call out these statements for what they are. Pointed, bigoted, unreasonable, illegitimate, anti-Semitic. I commend my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who have been speaking out about all this anti-Semitism. A few members come to mind. Chairman Engel, Congressman Deutsch, Congressman Nadler, Congresswoman Lowy, Congressman Gottheimer. Many of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, I believe to their core, know how very wrong this is, and there are many other members to name as well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to say thank you to each and every one of them, because support of Israel, support of Jews, standing against anti-Semitism, has been bipartisan in the past. It should be bipartisan today, and should be bipartisan for every moment in the future. I yield back. So here's the bullshit they passed. Whereas white supremacists in the United States have exploited and continue to exploit bigotry and weaponized hate for political gain, targeting traditional persecuted people, including African Americans, Native Americans, and other people of color, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, immigrants, and others with verbal attacks, incitement, and violence. There's no Jewish thing in it. The Pramil Japal part of the new forward-facing fucking pieces of shit. Here's a less plus Stephen King of Iowa who voted president. And they're trying to spin it that they're the bad people. Kimberly Strassel. Just, so just to be clear, a Somali-American Democrat engaged in repeated anti-Semitism and Democrats pass a resolution that condemns white supremacists and gets in a reference to Charlottesville. And if you didn't vote for the sham, you're the bigot. Yeah, that, that's that's what happened. That That's what happened. Which makes me bring out my intersectionality scorecard. For those who'd like to have this and spread it, like the virus this kind of fucking politics is, you can get it at Fop Tony Reed on Twitter. I posted it. And it pretty much sums up how this all works on the left and how you can get away with shit like Omar does. I mean, she is now four times and then if you go to her Twitter feed, it's forever talked about Jews have the money, Jews have hypnotized the world, Jews are the evil people, Apex evil. She's an outright Islamist. Got away with it because she's higher on the pecking order. So my list is pretty easy. You have scoring system, positive and negative, depending on what class you are. And this is how the left has acted prior to Obama, but during the Obama administration it has gone into overdrive. If you're a person of color, you get five points. If you're a woman, you get five points. Lesbian or gay, 2.5, because you're not as important as the trans who get five points. A map? Yeah, you want to fuck kids? 2.5 points. It's a positive. Non-binary, 2.5. Pro-choice, 2.5. Islamist, 5. You get 5 points. 
Muslim, 2.5. Atheist, a 5. They're on line with Islamists. I mean, they're, they're, they're good people. If you're a Christian, a Catholic, or a Jew, you get negative 2.5 points. If you're pro-life, negative 2.5 points. Cis, 2.5, negative. Turf, negative 2.5. A male, negative 2.5. Because the big whammy is white. If you're white, you're negative 5. Now, with all these categories, you can still be an ally in their scale because you can make up with it by being les or being non-binary or pro-choice or being, you know, a tranny. That gets you a positive points or an atheist. So a white female who's pro-choice and an atheist. Just do those two. That's seven positive Plus, she's a woman. That puts her at 12.5. She gets a negative 5 because she's white. That gives her 7.5. So their scale's pretty simple. We care about you if you're over 10 or greater. And that's automatic for Islamist, person of color, a gay person of color, trans. You are banking some really, really good points. I mean, right there, that's uh, 10... Yeah, it's 10 points automatically. Just to be a person of color. No, it's 15. 15 points. Trans, woman, person of color. That's who they care. Islamist. Woman, person of color like Ian Omar. She's got 15 points. But she's pro-choice. So that puts her fucking... uh, She's an Islamist? A woman, a person of color, it's 15, plus pro-choice, she's 17.5. She's a Muslim. Well, she wouldn't get that because she's an Islamist. She's the next level. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's 17.5. She is way the fuck up there. If you're five or greater, you're an ally. If you're less than five, you're a non-ally. And if you have a negative score, which most of us do, you are un-American. So most of America, if you're a male, if you're white, if you're pro-life, if you're fucking, like for me, just grading myself, I'm negative 5 for white and negative 2.5 for male, and I'm cis. So that's negative 10. I'm a Christian, negative 12.5. I'm I'm pro-life, negative 15. I'm a negative 15. Because I, I, they don't care about me. And it doesn't have to just be conservative, folks. Alyssa Milano. I'm trans. I'm a person of color. I'm an immigrant. I'm a lesbian. I am gay. I am the disabled. I'm everything. And so are you, Kirk. Don't be afraid of what you don't know or understand. No one wants to hurt you. We were all just looking for a happily ever after. And the world attacked her. No, Alyssa, you're not. Being able to respect your fellow man and woman does not mean you are who they are. Not even metaphorically. Her mentions got hosed. Because somebody just asked, are you a transgender? Kirk, who's a transgender? So she's just an ally. She's a woman. She's pro-choice. But she doesn't have enough points to be somebody they care about. So that's how this all worked. It doesn't matter. 
as long as you're on their scorecard and you're in the right categories, Islamist, person of color, gay. I mean, those are big points, folks. That's all the left cares about. And I didn't even add immigration status on here. I thought about it, but I thought I'm just going to keep this straight up to make the point. If I put anti, or uh, your anti-immigration would be a negative five, but if you're an illegal immigrant, you're a plus 15. That puts you at the top of the list. Actually, an illegal immigrant's more important than Omar, and she's got a lot going for her. We saw that, man, the Islamist, person of color, a woman, woo! She is just banking them points. But she'd just be just as important as a legal immigrant. Because an illegal immigrant would be a fucking plus, plus 15. So We're going to end this section on Cuomo. He is also, also, or this is America. Because what this guy did just disgusts me. And then we're going to Andy NGO Portland. I'm going to play a little bit of a soundbite of what he witnessed this week. Because it's always part of our violent left. We are against hateful expressions of intolerance directed at minorities, period. Who's against that? Should be unanimous, right? Wrong. Welcome to the latest example of why people are turned off on politics. House Resolution 183. No need to argue a case to you tonight. All you need to know is the path this thing took. So it starts with Representative Omar, Democrat from Minnesota. She said things about Jews buying friends and influence on Israeli issues. People in both parties went after her for it. Omar admitted she crossed a line. Then she said more about the political influence in this country that says it's okay to push for allegiance to foreign countries. Again, many in both parties took this to imply American lawmakers had dual loyalty to the U.S. and Israel. Now there was a big fight about calling her out. Then came the comparative politics. When it was Steve King saying bigoted things, the Democrats wanted him tossed out, named him in a resolution condemning white supremacy. And the GOP, to their credit, they came late to the game on King, but they did strip him of assignments. However, when it was a Democrat, the Dems got quiet. Some Dems didn't like it, so they drafted this resolution 183 to condemn anti-Semitism as a middle ground consequence. But no naming of Omar and no loss of assignments. They argued that King has been saying this stuff for years, so he deserved worse, though Omar, Omar had made statements like this before. This should have been simple. Either people who say ugly things get called out or they don't. Then, the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Progressive Caucus didn't like the res being suggestive of only what Omar said. This president's vitriol had to be included. So they included Islamophobia and white supremacy, whereasing, you know, those paragraphs, whereas, whereasing instances that were clear references to the president. And then on top of that, Speaker Pelosi said this. I thought the resolution should be enlarge the issue to anti-Semitism, anti-Islamophobia, etc., anti-white supremacist. And that it should not mention her name, and that's what we're working on, something that is one resolution addressing these, these forms of hatred, not mentioning her name, because it's not about her, it's about uh, the, these forms of hatred. 
So what started out as a reaction to Omar was now not about Omar. Pelosi went even farther, saying that the comments that prompted the resolution against anti-Semitic speech were not intended by Omar to be anti-Semitic. So now the only people named in the dozens of graphs of whereases are Dr. King for teaching us that persecuting any American is attacking the freedom of all, and a selective list of other victims of bigotry. In a resolution that was supposed to be about calling out the offenders, not a recitation of the victims. The process and what some members of the GOP Freedom Caucus saw as apparent hypocrisy led to two dozen Republicans refusing to vote for a resolution condemning intolerance. Small irony, Steve King voted present. That means he wouldn't take a position. King not wanting to vote on the resolution or take a position is the only part of this that makes sense. This is why so many of you are turned off. This should have been easy, but nothing is easy these days. Can't call out your own because the other side is worse. Can't call out one problem without others getting the same attention, even though they were not involved in the instance that was supposed to be addressed. And we can't get the right and left to come together even to say we should not hate on minorities. Look. The resolution passed. Okay, that's the good news. But if you can't get unanimous consent on not bashing Jews and Muslims and other minorities, what will they ever agree on unanimously? We wonder why you won't get a veto-proof margin of Republicans to oppose a national emergency order that they know is an overreach. Why both sides can't address what they now know is a crisis involving kids on the border. Why people who support the president have endless appetite for his perfidy and lies. Here's the answer. Ugly politics of competing agendas and the avarice for political advantage that puts party before the people. It makes Americans believe Congress doesn't work and that they should not expect anything better from Congress or even a president. This should have been obvious, unanimous. Congress, please do your damn jobs. With that, how about another... So he went to Portland State this week, and here's our, here's our, his tweets. Last night, college Republicans invited conservative blogger Michael Strickland to Portland State event, got shut down by anarchists who came with a bell. Strickland was to speak about his conviction related to him brandishing a gun at a mob who surrounded him in the 2016 BLM protests. We actually covered that on the show. One anarchist, Antifa disruptor with a bell, was able to shut down the entire of fucking event. Campus police and admin were there, but just stood and watched. They said they couldn't do anything about the disruptor. The person who shut down the college Republican Portland State event then went to front and block the projector so the speaker couldn't play a video. This continued for more than an hour while police watched. They did absolutely nothing. And then to end our violent left... Here's another kid getting punched, and a couple of women got punched for wearing mega hats, and we're going into Fire for Effect, a quick little hit on 2020. Hey, Gio, welcome to the flag. Hi, Mom. Hi. Mm-hmm. 
three. Come on. Oh, this is too old. This is the wrong mom. Oh, mom. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, mom. Wrong she mom. was told that she had to take her sweatshirt off. No. And the police officer was taking pictures of her. Yep. Yep. Why are you taking here, pictures of my dog? No, no. Here, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Come on, just here, we'll take it. We'll take no, they don't have to leave the property because. <laughs> yes. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Okay. No, they don't. Oh, wait till she gets here. If you're not gonna relax. Oh you can my leave. goodness. Okay, go. Take her and go. You asked my daughter to leave the campus I today. Did not. Who did? The police officer. Why? Because they had this flag we didn't want. Look it, ma'am. I'm not gonna put up with this stuff. I'm not going to put up with it either. You're not allowed to tell my daughter to leave the school because no, no, school was over. Yeah. It's a principal. Yeah. You take her home. Yes, he can. Yeah. Yes, I can. So I you're going to tell me that you're going to ask my daughter to leave school because she was wearing a Make America Great Again sweatshirt? Nope, that's not what happened. That is what happened. Then why is she ask, being asked to leave? She's not the one that had the Trump flag, and even if she did, why can't she have a flag on America Day? for school because that says not, Make America Great Again. Because to carry a flag around is not the use of the flag. It's disrespectful. To carry a flag yes, around? Yes, read, go read the etiquette. And I have a kid in the army. I have a kid in the military. Okay, Thank you. So, you can leave. I'm not leaving without figuring out why she's in trouble for this. She's not in trouble. No, she wasn't in trouble. She's, she's the one that she called wasn't. you because they took yes. a picture of her because she wouldn't leave. And yeah, why did they take a picture of her? Because she wouldn't leave. She's, she's a minor. If they're going to take a picture of her from the school, I should have been called. No, you don't. No, you're wrong. You, you are wrong. Where were you Would kidding you please leave? I talked to a Phoenix police officer no, on the way not. here. No, you don't know what he's talking about. You need to you go. Know. It's school. Go. No. You're a jerk. No. Yeah, you are. Thank you. I'm difficult? You are? No. You have to talk to my daughter the way that you are. Oh, my gosh. My kids go to school here. Doesn't matter. I can trespass you. Okay. Because my daughter wore a Make America Great shirt. My name is Haley, and on Saturday night, me and my girlfriends were viciously attacked by an entire bar of people, men and women included, for wearing MAGA hats. Um, we did not go in with the intentions of starting a fight. We were just wearing our MAGA hats out on a Saturday, and we wanted to show our support for Texas Independence Week. Um, we asked one of the bartenders to help us, and he ended up choking out one of my friends. Um, by the time we got away from the situation, cops were called, cases were filed. We made it one block, and another random man came up and attacked us again, all over our hats. The cops that we reported this to showed bias in our opinion towards us because we were Trump supporters and insinuated that this happened because we wore those hats, and that's to be expected nowadays, I guess. We do support cops. We do. We just want them to do their job in Austin, and I don't feel like they did. It's up to you guys to decide for yourselves, but we want justice, so please help us get that, okay? Because we need help. <laughs> Now the moment you've all been waiting for. Allahu Akbar.
the first Palestinian-American Muslim congresswoman, our dear sister Rashida Tlaib. Thank you, Hassan. Thank you, thank you so much. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum. You know, we always said the Muslims are coming. Well, guess what? I think we're here. We're not only everywhere in all kinds of different governments, but mashallah, wow, we're in the United States Congress. Thank you so much for inviting me to support a civil rights organization that is around the unified fight against hate and racism in our country. And Congressman Dingell was sitting there, and I said, oh my God, I'm so tired of this. I don't know how you've been doing it for so long, Congressman. They all lie. And he looks at me, and he goes, I said, you know who I'm talking about? Like these, these lobbyists, these special interests, they're all lying to me about this issue I was working on, scrap metal theft in my, in my district. And he looks at me, and this is a true story, Raja. It was great. He looks at me, and he goes, young lady, there's a saying in India that if you stand still enough on the riverbanks, you will watch your enemies float by dead. I don't know why. You have to know. At that moment, I felt so much better. I have no idea what that's going to say. I'm not sure. But it's and I can tell you my mother, who has a compassionate just heart, and this is the same woman that after Trump won, had the hijab on in the supermarket, and somebody yelled at her and said, take it off. He won, he said, take it off. And she beautifully responded, you don't understand. Jesus was born in my country, in Palestine. Mashallah, mashallah, very powerful words. You know, for the last two decades, members of Congress have attempted to pass laws that undermine the freedom of the American Muslim community and serve injustice, particularly to Palestinians. First, we had Andre, uh, Keith Ellison and Andre Carson, two brothers, and now we have two sisters that are joining. Wallahu Akbar, we're very excited about the f future. I wanted to start off our fire for fact because it's all about Democrats with that soundbite. That's Tlaib, a care. We said she was going to be there. Nobody covered it. Nobody covered it. And I guarantee nobody said shit to her mother because nobody said take off the hajib. It's all bullshit that they just spin because they got nothing else. For them to get away with all their bullshit, they got to blame other people. Because this week also, HR1 is nothing but a power grab designed to elect Democrats. These people voted pretty much in, it won't go through the Senate, the following, Representative Dan Crenshaw, today I offered a motion to recommit H.R. 1, reaffirming that only U.S. citizens should have the right to vote. Dems rejected it. Next time you go to the ballot box, keep that in mind. The future of the party is in cities like San Francisco where illegals can vote. Let that sink in. Representative Joe Kennedy, as GOP stands united against the bill to strengthen our democracy and increase transparency in our election, it's important to remember that NC09 seat is vacant because a GOP candidate tried to steal it. Dan Crenshaw, you do realize your bill would actually make the kind of fraud in NC09 legal, right? Truth. It would legalize, legalize vote harvesting across the entire country, use your tax dollars to do it, and limit free speech drastically, all in the name of democracy. Even the ACLU opposes it. But that wasn't as far as they wanted to go. Pelosi, we should not be suppressing the vote of newcomers to America. 
They wanted illegals to be able to vote. Simultaneously, Anna Presley put up a bill. A 16-year-old in 2009 possessed a wisdom and a maturity that comes from 2019 challenges, hardships, and threats. I'm sorry, 16-year-old in 2019. A 16-year-old will be will bring with them the 2019 lessons they learned picking up ships, waiting tables to support their family while their mother was deployed. A 17-year-old will bring with them a 2019 solemn vow to honor the lives of their classmates stolen by a gunman. From gun violence to immigration reform to climate change to the future of work, our young people are organizing, mobilizing, calling us to action. They have earned inclusion in our democracy for the people 16 to vote. Amendment number 24 was rejected, 126 yeas, 305 nays. But understand, every Democrat of record voted for it. See, this is just like Obama in 2012. They will do anything to get power. They've tried to rejigger the Electoral College. They're trying to rejigger everything so they can vote harvest, steal votes, Cheat votes, get illegal immigrants to vote, get 16-year-old kids to vote, because they know one thing. They are extremists. They're extremists on the climate. They're extremists on Islamophobia, or Islamists. They have a bunch of Islamists in their caucus now. They they are fucking extreme on anti-Semitism. They're extreme on abortion. They're extreme on everything. They don't align with American people. And they know it. So for them to win, they got to say, but Trump and change all the laws to accommodate them. Change them. It's unfucking believable. So to AOC, you know, we haven't taken a break. Let's take a music break. I want to play a song that is stuck in my head. It actually made me watch this this weekend. Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain, man. It's a good morning song with Debbie Reynolds. And when we come back in, we're going to hear AOC freak out about grocery bags and then say what we know her, Tlaib, Omar, and all these forward-facing people think. America is garbage. And what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to play, the stars were shining bright. Now the milkman's on his way, it's too late to say goodnight. So good morning, good morning, sunbeams will soon smile through. Good morning, good morning to you and you and you and you. Good morning, good morning, we've gabbed the whole night through. Good morning, good morning to you. Never could be granted had to be in Louisiana in, in the morning. morning. In the morning, it's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. Might be just as if we was in Mississippi. When we left the movie show, the future wasn't bright. But came and gone, the show goes on, and I don't want to say good night. Don't say good morning. Good morning. Rainbow shining. Good morning. Good morning. Both of you. Good morning. 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 Good
Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. I can be upset that I get 10 plastic bags at the grocery store and then have to toss out my plastic bags because the recycling program in the area is tough and that's okay. We... All of these are not reasons to stop fighting. All of these are reasons to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And these are all reasons and pieces of evidence to say, hey, we need to make it easier to recycle. I think that's something that's that's so interesting is that you have risen, you, you ran a campaign, and we have seen many popular politicians now running campaigns that highlight issues which are characterized as fringe and on the left, but which have a plurality of support among not even just Democratic voters, but Republican voters as well. So why do you think it's taken so long to get candidates who are pushing issues like Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, $15 minimum wage to the foreground? I think it's because, you know, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go back with a story because even though people, you know, they try to characterize my district as far left and, oh my God, every socialist in America lives in like East Bronx and Queens or whatever, like it's, it, but there are a, a lot of Trump voting pockets of my district. And I talked to these folks and I'll never forget, you know, and it's, there are parts of my district that look like the middle of the country, believe it or not. And, um, and I remember, I'll never remember, I'll never forget this one older woman who came to me and said, you know, I always voted Democrat because growing up, my dad told me that Democrats are the people that fight for the working man. And we stopped. And the working man and woman and people is the majority of this country. And so what we, I think we saw was now both parties, frankly, abdicated their responsibility. And it was just no one was fighting for working people who were struggling. And so as a result, it almost created this opportunity. And you can take all of this anger and direct it to a negative and destructive end that allows a small group of people to benefit a great amount, or 
you have to take a really bold stances to bring it the other way and direct it to the possibility of what we can accomplish together. And I think the thing that is really hard for, for people to sometimes see is that when we are on this path of a slow erosion and a slow, 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 just like move away from what we've always been, we'll be 100 miles. You'll, you, know, you'll realize, you won't even realize that you've drifted 100 miles. So when someone's talking about our core, it's like, oh, this is radical. But this isn't radical. This is what we've always been. Mm -hmm. It's just that now we, we've strayed so far away from what has really made us powerful um, and just and good and equitable and productive. And so I think all of these things sound radical compared to where we are, but where we are is not a good thing. And this idea of like 10% better from garbage is, shouldn't be what we settle for. It's like this like, it feels like moderate is not a stance, it's just an attitude toward life of like, <laughs> She's a fucking extremist. And how do I know she's extremist? Pompous little twit, Greenpeace co-founder, unloads on Ocasio-Cortez. Moore, who has a PhD in ecology, called out Ocasio-Cortex after she mocked a New York Post article that highlighted her numerous flights. Her tweet, I also fly and use AC living in the world as it is an, an argument against working together in a bright, to get a better future. The Green New Deal is about putting a lot of people to work and developing, developing new technologies, building new infrastructures, and getting us 100% renewable. Moore fired back, the world as it is, has the option of taking the subway rather than a taxi, option of Amtrak rather than a plane, option of opening a window rather than AC. You're just a garden variety hypocrite like the others, and you have zero expertise at any of the things you pretend to know. <laughs> Woo! He also went on a doctor for other shit. Now, think about that. Greenpeace. That, that's not a liberal. And then our legal troubles are stacking up. Alexander Cortez, chief of staff, accused of hiding more than $1 million in campaign cash. Luke Thompson. Fun fact, his email address no longer exists. But I thought it was all a lie. Whole article. We told you about the report of the FEC complaint alleging wrongdoing. We've been waiting for Democratic Twitter tutor Alexander Cortez to blame misogyny or climate change or something else for the FEC complaint alleging that two PACs funneled one million of campaign contribution into, into two of her chief of staff, Salak Chaparati's private companies. The former FEC commissioner even told the Daily Caller that Ocasio-Cortez and Chaparati could be facing jail time if prosecutors could find intent. The usually very talkative AOC has said nothing about this after being asked about it by reporters, but the mainstream media is starting to catch on after other media led the way. Here's how Washington Post acknowledged it. AOC chief of staff won one million slush fund by diverting campaign cash to his own. Washington Post reports on huge Alan Goodman DC examiner skirt scoop about AOC campaign contribution as first reported by conservative outlets. Byron, New York. Maybe next time Washington Post breaks a story 
other publications should write that it was first reported on liberal outlets. See, they did that to get the get-out-of-jail-free card. Because she's high on the intersectionality scorecard, folks. Can't fuck with that lady. Then she finally started talking. In case you saw the conspiracy theory running around, conservative groups have now taken to spamming us by filing bogus ethics complaints so that Fox News can now report an alleged untrue scandal. This is how misinformation machine works. Ryan Savandra. It's not a conspiracy theory. There are actual complaints filed against you with the FEC. <laughs> it's, it's real. So she's starting to unravel. She's doing more and more fucking interviews because everybody wants some AOC. They love them some AOC. She's so popular somewhere. I don't know where, but she's really popular. And she said the following. And guess what? She's also bashing Obama company. But honestly, we shouldn't have been in either. And we should end the AUMF now while we're at it. Jake Tapper. Could you please explain more about what you think the U.S. should have done post-9-11 regarding Afghanistan? Should there not have been a NATO-U.S. action versus AQ Taliban, in your view? A limited one? What would you have supported? Here's her response. I remember a time when it was unacceptable to question the Iraq war. All of Congress was wrong, including my, both GOP and Dem Party, and led by generations into a disastrous and wrong war that virtually all would come to regret, except for one member, Barbara Lee. Afghanistan war, my apologies. Think that our decision to enter unlimited engagement in Afghanistan, particularly through the AUMF plus Congress abdication of power and decision making with passage of the AUMF, was a mistake. Other options, targeting the network itself, limited engagement, non-intervention. Tapper didn't press because he's a Democrat. So not only is she disparaging Republicans, Democrats, and Obama, who widened the war. So Tapper, give him credit, he asked the question, then he backed off because he was told to, because the next thing out of the gate was Congress 9-11 response a mistake. A victory? Analysis by Zachary B. Wolf, CNN. They ran an article the very next day covering for AOC. Then this broke out. And the mainstream media is not carrying it. Alexander Cortez's mom leaves New York to escape Democratic high taxes. Bianca or Blanca, I don't know how to say her name. The mother, socialist representative Alexander Exodia, has fled the state of New York and moved to Florida because she's no longer able to afford the Democratic state's high taxes. In an exclusive interview Monday, the Daily Mail reported that Ocasio-Cortez's mom moved into an out-of-the-way lakefront community shortly before Democratic AOC filed for a candidacy to become the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. I was cleaning houses in the morning and working as a secretary at a hospital in the afternoon. I was working from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Blanca, a lifelong Democrat, said, After I prayed and prayed and things worked out, after the children graduated from college, I figured it was time for me to move to Florida. I lived in New York area for most of my life, but I started being able to afford it. She continued, I was paying 10000 a year in real estate taxes up from the north. I'm paying 600 a year in Florida. It's stress-free down here. A lot of people carried it, but they didn't carry it right. It's not about who makes the taxes. It's about 
This is a woman that said we should have 70 or 90% taxes on people. 70% or 90% taxes. That's just federal. Because she's so fucking stupid, she doesn't understand. On top of the federal, it's state. It's property. It's this. It's that. City taxes. County taxes. Maggie Haberman sums up the media response. So she's one of the people who recognize that New York got soaked in the federal tax bill that POTUS championed. That's the response. Then Cortez, you know, when I got to D.C., I was told that a considered off-limits report on family members. Unsure why that consideration is suspended for me. I'm a victim. No, you're not. You open up your cock trap and you say we should tax people 70 to 90 percent. And your family doesn't do it. You open up your cock trap and you say that everybody should live in a fucking cave because we're going to die in 12 years, but you fly all over the country and take a limousine for a six-block drive. You're a fucking hypocrite. You're what the Democratic Party is. A limousine liberal. You say a lot of shit, but you don't back it up. To other 2020 news, Brave Millennial sells testicles to raise money for Bernie 2020 campaign. I'm not going to the rest of it. You should. People are giving blood, skin grafts, taxes. Here's one, one thing. I'll just read one. My heart is set. My mind is made up. Bernie's promise will make our country into what our founding fathers envisioned. I already donated my life savings to Bernie 2020 campaign, but I wanted to donate more. Since I don't have any personal property and I work a minimum wage job, I sold both my testicles for 10000 each and donated all of it to Bernie campaign. I'm a little sore, but I know it'll be worth it in the end. What the fucking fuck, fuck is wrong with you? Your testicles? It's a fucking cult. To news, social... Media Nuggets. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct, and it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. Military corner, blood up to your knees, defeated ice jihadists still defiant. Defeated but unrepentant, some jihadists limping out of their besieged final bastion in eastern Syria and still praise the Islamic State and promise bloody vengeance against its enemies. The skeletal and disheveled figures shuffling out of the smoldering ashes of the caliphate may look like a procession of zombies, but their devotion seems intact. At an outpost for U.S.-backed forces outside the besieged village of Boguz, ten women stand in front of a journalist pointing their index finger to the sky and gesture used by I.S. supporters to proclaim the oneness of God. They shout in unison, The Islamic State is here to stay! Most refuse to disclose their names or nationalities, and they're a bunch of fucking wahoos. 
Uh, it goes into a whole bunch of shit. I'm trying to read read what he says. Um, he also says the rumors that uh, jihadists would be granted safe passage to Adib, largely controlled by rival jihadist group, encouraged some to stay. Nearby, a bearded man with a leg wound cursed the coalition war, whose warplanes have pummeled the last jihadist redoubt. I've only surrendered because of my injury, said. I have seen, been with IAS because the begin, since the beginning. One woman who says she's from Damascus tells AFP, we have left, but there will be new conquest in the future. Speaking from behind a veil that covers her face, we will seek vengeance. There will be blood up to your knees. Yeah, when we drop J-Dams on you, you'll see a lot of blood by your knees because you'll be dead. I love reading those stories. Fuck them pieces of shit. And I hate to say it. We have pieces of shit like this in Omar's district. That's how she got elected. Unlike other people, I'm not Islamophobic. I'm Islamist-aphobic. Because I've met him. I've talked to him in the very beginning. These People don't care about your intersectionality scorecard. They will chop her head off. They'll chop everybody's fucking head off. They don't care about your feelings and how much you virtual single on fucking Twitter. They don't give a fuck you're for gay rights. They don't give a fuck any of that shit because to them, gay rights are evil. These are the people that stone women for cheating on their husband. These are the people that throw gay people off the top of the fucking roof. They don't fucking care about your progressive fucking ideals. Your progressive ideals are why they hate America, you dumbasses. Moving on. The incredible story of how a Navy challenge coin saved this Oklahoma police officer's life. Guy was shot in the leg. It deflected off his coin. Fucking awesome. Army snipers are putting the next rifle to the paces with new upgrades. The M110A1 is out in the field. 4th Brigade, 4th ID are using them. Senator Rand Paul wants to end the war in Afghanistan with a victory bonus for all Guat vets. Yeah. I supported going to the war in Afghanistan in 2001, attacking those who harbored the 9-11 terrorists or helped to promote the, organize the attack and going after Al-Qaeda. But we are many, many years past the mission. We have turned the nation's building at the cost of more than $50 billion spent a year in Afghanistan. It's important one to know the declared victory and leave a war. I think the time has long passed. But I think we can all agree that the time has come. And that's exactly what Paul's new legislation titled the Afghan Service Act would do. Declare victory in Afghanistan. After all, Paul said Osama bin Laden was killed eight years ago and Pentagon officials say Al-Qaeda is nearly wiped out. According to Paul, the Afghan Service Act would pay out so-called victory bonus of $2,500 to every U.S. service member, past or present, who served in the post-9-11 military campaigns that make up the global war on terror. I'll take my 2500 send it my way, put it in the bank. Army legacy weapons system to take a hit in the next budget. We did it last time. And pretty much not putting money into tanks and etc. would save $30 billion. But the funniest thing in this article is that they're literally talking about reinstituting air defense. Because we need it again, but we got rid of it because the wars don't have it. So maybe you shouldn't have got rid of all that shit. I mean, I, every fucking time we do one of these changeovers, we don't need tanks. We have a tank war. Mothball shit. Don't don't get rid of it. Why the Marines are throwing big cash and infantry squad leaders? They are losing a lot of their leadership in the Marine Corps. They're up to seventy grand in bonuses to try to keep people in. 
The base one is for four years, 25 grand. So that's going to happen, especially when these wars end, like completely, like there's no deployments. There's going to be a lot of lot of loss of, of leadership. Age is no obstacle. Soldier completes Army toughest schools after 40. Master Sergeant Jose Alvarez. He went through the Air Assault course, the Pathfinder course, and Ranger School at the age of 40. That's a bad mofo. Totally. Tom Clancy, The Division 2, is the follow-up to the uber-successful third-person shooter, Tom Clancy's The Division. In a recent promo for that game, Tim Kennedy takes us on a stroll through about five minutes of absolute carnage that is downright exciting after watching gun nuts are going to have to wait for blood to return to their head before standing. For those of you who don't know, Kennedy, of course, is the UFC fighter, or he fights sometimes, and he's an SF reserve, but um, he's part of it. And in it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Which takes us to our college crazy. Got a long section. That's why you saw me power through 2020 quickly. And get into this. Because this is some good shit. We're going to start with the College of Business Dean at Rider University. Who had to resign. Because the school is crazy about Chick-fil-A. And understand, this very week, LGBT Nation, some website, did another hit that, oh, Trump served Chick-fil-A, and Chick-fil-A is anti-gay because he once said, I'm not for gay marriage, and they're a religious institution, and these people are so uber-freaked out that anybody else has another fucking opinion, yet... The drive-thru in Chick-fil-A is always slammed because the rest of us could give a fuck if they are into Martians. It's fucking delicious chicken sandwich, you fucking dolts. Hello, my name is Kaba Phillips, media director here at Campus Reform. Today we're joined by Cynthia Newman of Ryder University. Cynthia, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure to be here. So a lot of our readers and viewers have been keeping up with the story at Ryder University involving Chick-fil-A and some campus craziness that was resulting. Can you give a little bit of a background for those who aren't as familiar with the story as well as your involvement with everything? Sure. Uh, So on uh, November 1st, the university leadership issued a survey to the campus community, um, to the students primarily, asking them for input on selection of a new restaurant provider on campus. Uh, This was a follow-up to an earlier survey that had been conducted where Chick-fil-A came out as one of the top uh, choices for the students. In this follow-up survey in the cover letter, uh, the university officials um, indicated that there were a few providers they weren't moving forward with. And um, then they said a statement in the email about that Chick-fil-A Um, was not going to be considered because their corporate values had not sufficiently progressed enough to align with riders' values. Uh, When when you saw that, uh, what was your response? I'm sure a lot of people were just thinking of the chicken. They weren't even necessarily thinking of the the corporate values of Chick-fil-A. So what was your response when you saw that? And and kind of tell our viewers uh, what you did. So uh, actually, I felt like I had been punched in the stomach. Uh, when I read that statement, because I'm a very committed Christian, and Chick-fil-A's values um, 
the corporate purpose statement is to glorify God and all, and to um, be faithful stewards of all that's entrusted to them and to have a positive influence on everyone who comes into contact with them. And I would say that that mirrors my personal beliefs um, perfectly. Um, and so I, I really felt it very personally. Um, but I'm not someone who makes a fuss uh, typically, or her rants and raves. And so what I did in response to that email immediately, actually, um, was to reach out to some of the university leadership um, that I report to, um, as well as that issued that statement. And I started about a month's worth of dialogue with those individuals. And um, basically, I asked before Thanksgiving, I asked directly if they would please issue an apology for the offense in the statement that they made to the campus community. Uh, and so after, you know, that happened, uh, you know, what was the university response and, and what led you uh, to resign uh, part of your position there at the university? So the university did issue a second email to the campus community, um, but there was no apology included in that email. Um, they also issued to all the campus leadership, myself included as the dean of the College of Business, a um, list of talking points for that we were to use to respond to anyone who was critical of the Chick-fil-A decision. Um, it was at that point uh, when I got those talking points then I realized that I couldn't in good conscience adhere to those. Um, which so, so what was in those talking points? Are, can you, are you able to give us an idea of what the university was suggesting you all say in response to questions about their stance toward Chick-fil-A? Sure. So there wasn't anything necessarily at face value that was I found offensive about the talking points. Um, so they were saying to reaffirm the university's commitment to inclusion the university's um, commitment to be an open uh, place where all, all people are welcome. Um, what struck me the wrong way and why I couldn't adhere to those is because in the absence of an apology for the offense that was made to Christian values and, and other face values, quite honestly, um, those talking points were then something I couldn't I couldn't say in good conscience because there was no apology. So it was like you needed to frame those talking points in, in light of the fact that they made that first statement about Chick-fil-A. And so to say that we should respond by saying the university um, seeks to produce individuals um, that are responsible citizens, for example, well, the implication is that people who adhere to values similar to Chick-fil-A's are not responsible citizens. Yeah. I was just about to say as well, it seems like the implication is that you're also not tolerant if you don't go along with their stance, which seems ironic from an outsider's perspective that the implication being made that you're the one that's not being tolerant when your ideas and, and the school seems to not be tolerant. I won't put you on the spot on that one. Uh, but so what, you know, kind of walk us through when you issued your resignation and what that process was like? Sure. So I took some time to consider what my decision would be. Um, I took about three weeks before I, from my last discussion with anyone until I decided that I was going to resign my position in response. Um, I had a private conversation um, with my, my supervisor as well as with the president of the university, um, shared my views and my reasons. Um, they were sorry to see me go. 
but uh, that was that was pretty much the extent of it. And then um, about a month later, uh, just on February 14th, I made a statement uh, to my faculty. So there were about 70 people in the room, my faculty and staff, in which I recounted the situation, uh, much as I did to you earlier, and um, made my announcement that I felt like I just couldn't I couldn't put myself in a situation where I would in any way be seen complicit when an affront to my Christian values had been made. And so, uh, so I made that, that statement, that announcement. And uh, since then, I've gotten a lot of support um, from my faculty, from my staff, from some of the students that um, are aware um, of the decision that I made and why. Um, just understanding that, you know, they identify with the fact that what I'm saying is that no one group's opinions, values, beliefs should be elevated over anyone else else's values, opinions, or beliefs. You know, we should be able to um, respectfully disagree when it comes to values and ideologies, um, and we shouldn't be putting down one group's values because they don't align with our personal values. Yeah, and I think that's much in line with what the education system should be embracing and what higher education ultimately should be all about. And I, I often tell people that a lot of times you look around, you don't see anyone taking a stand and it, it can be scary. And that many times being that first person gets the ball rolling and shows others that there are other people that agree with you that are willing to step out. Uh, it just takes that one person to stand up. So I, you know, I think many of our, our viewers uh, commend you and are, and are with you as well. And I guess in closing, my question for you would be, what is your message to people in a similar situation? I'm sure that there are professors out there watching or even students that are in similar situations. What's your message to them uh, if they're afraid to speak out on, on an issue like religious liberty that, that means something to them because they're afraid of retribution? What would you say to them? I, mean, I, I, would, I would say don't be afraid. You know, stand up for what you believe in. Do it in a respectful manner so that you, at the end of the day you can still respect yourself um, for how you expressed your views and how you stood up for your views. Um, and understand that, I mean, you're the one who has to live in the world that's around you. And so if you, if you feel something is not right in that world, you have an obligation to stand up and to say what your perspective is on that. Yeah. Powerful words. Cynthia, thank you so much for, for what you're doing. And uh, we want to continue to get updates on this story. We'll make sure to keep our viewers and readers uh, up to date as well. But again, thank you for, for joining us today and telling your story. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, but there's no Christian bigotry. Yeah, that's done. UCLA student group demands $40 million for Black Student Center. They'll get it too. You watch. $40 million. It's like that one, if people go back to the old, old podcast. I had a friend, Tom of Tucson, who got me the Arizona SJW craziness request. And I read it on air, and it was amazing what these people believe they deserved just because they have intersectionality scorecard high points. They just fully believe they should get all this money and the school should bend over backwards for them. Poly Sci Department nixes white privilege as a myth student event ad cites fake facts. So I was really surprised that even got even green lighted to begin with. You think that just like wouldn't happen in our current world, but yeah, it is a it is a fucking myth. There's no white privilege. If that's the case, why the fuck ain't I a millionaire? 
She accused him of stalking after a one-day Facebook chat. The campus process led him to overdose. Lawsuit claim. This story is one of hundreds that I could put on here that show that people use the SJW things to get other people in trouble. This guy committed suicide. He did nothing wrong. He wasn't stalking her. But she had eaten into that Me Too. Just like... We have guys selling his fucking balls for Bernie. In a little bit, we have people freaking out over the climate change. All these little things they use are actually way more effective than anything a white supremacist could could do. Because none of us know a white supremacist. I don't know any white supremacist webpages. I don't look for white supremacist webpage. But every day, on Google, my phone, on the TV, on Netflix, on everything, you are shoved with SJW craziness, and people break. They live their whole lives fear of shit. So this girl me too the fuck out over a voice chat that he said nothing wrong in the transcript. The school ostracized him. And it was all bogus. Then there's this. I'm not giving any goddamn money. I'm not buying another fucking peppermint patty in my life. Girl Scouts gives Hyatt's award to teen who organized campaign promotion for abortion investigative reporting showed that they give a shit ton of money to PPFA. So the next time you look at Girl Scouts, do what I do. I'm sorry, you donate to PPFA. I can't buy your cookies. If you stop donating to abortion, I'll buy your cookies. And then I walk away. Invariably, none of the people doing it know it. They don't even know. They just don't know. Martina compared to Nazi Goebbels after clarifying position. So she went out and did a clarified op-ed and basically said the rules on trans athletes reward cheats and punish the innocent. Her new attempt to address the difference between men and women prompted this angry response from Enos. The Nazis had the Jewish question and history records that horror which his leaders called the final solution. Navitrola treads a very dangerous line in asking if this issue of inclusion should be called a name that not so far off from jo- Joseph Goebbels' nomenclature. I am certainly not advocating violence against trans people, has been suggested. All I'm trying to do is to make sure girls and women who are born female are competing on level, a playing field as possible within their sports. But they used the Nazi. The Nazi. And, and really think about this podcast. We have a senior Democrat saying... The Holocaust was your parents, your grandparents. It's so far away. Omar, well, she's got recent trauma. Okay, if that's the standard now, then why is every time we disagree with an SJW, we're called a fucking Nazi? Why is every presidential nominee for the Republican Party being called a Nazi? Back to Reagan. If Nazis aren't that bad now because it's so long ago, I mean, that's their circular logic. Abort all the babies, but worry about the babies at the border because those are important babies because they'll vote for us. I mean, Jesus Christ. They get away with it because we have a fucking complicit media. But that kind of logic wouldn't fly if you're a Republican. You couldn't call everybody a Nazi and then say, well, Nazis don't matter. And then when you don't agree with me, you're a Nazi. 
Because to be quite honest, we could use Nazi way more for live birth abortion than they can use for Martina Navitarola saying it's an unfair advantage for males to compete as women. I mean, Jesus Christ, now she's Goebbels? The nation says trans foes don't understand how sex bodies operate. I'm not reading it. I, I, no. It totally ignores biology, VO2 max, core muscle structure, bone structure, just body mass and fat percentage. I mean, it's just totally devoid of anything scientific. Daily Mirror. Married lesbian couple are now husband and wife after one became a man. I'm the old lady. It's a commercial for Geico. That's not how any of this works. No. Then there's this Wahoo. Wiley started testosterone in 2012 and got top breast surgery in 2013. However, he has yet to have bottom surgery and operate to create a penis. It's a fucking dude with a goatee and it's pregnant. So once again, that's not how this works. You can't be pregnant and be a dude. It's called biology. And I could care less that he's a girl dude with a goatee. What pisses me off is his beard was way better than mine or hers or whatever the fuck it was. Really good goatee. Gotta admit. Which draw me and my wife to ask the question, wouldn't all that testosterone hurt the baby? That baby's going to come out looking like a chimp. By the way, it was a white person, so that's not a reference to race, but it's going to be hairy as shit. She was taking testosterone to become a man and then got pregnant. And once again, if you don't want to be a woman, why would you get pregnant? Anybody? Bueller? Age of autosexual. The people sexually attracted to themselves. Are you turned on when you look in the mirror and enjoy nothing more than a steamy night at home alone? You could be an autosexual. It's a whole interview with this chick that's kissing a mirror. No, that's a narcissist. But now we got autosexuals. So am I going to be an autosexual phobe when I say, you fucking freak? Which I wouldn't do because I wouldn't know they were a fucking one. But I mean, that's that's next. Then we got another one of these articles. I cover one every podcast. Is pedophilia a crime or an illness? We'll never quite know whether child molesters should be treated as sick people or punished as criminals. The reason why this is coming out in mass, this is for the fucking Washington Post, is because the Michael Jackson documentary came out on HBO. And people still want to protect that sick motherfucker. That dude was mentally impaired. He had some serious mental illness. First of all, he bleached himself to be whiter than me and he fucked little boys. You're not going to make the map thing works. Minor attracted person with no contact is not going to be a thing. Then the race. <laughs> Brown face parody of Roma star Yelitsa Aparachio ignites backlash for Mexican Network. This is when I scratch my head. She's already brown. She was browner in a skit, and now they're calling it blackface. Or brown face. Well, what the fuck? In line with this, 
is this article. Uh, I gotta flip to it. Hold on a second. I, I'm out of. Shadow and Act. King Richard Will Smith to play father of Venus Williams and Serena Williams in film. Except all is not well. There are a number of people who are voicing displeasure in the selection. Clowns. Clarence Hill Jr. Colorism matters. Love Will Smith, but there are other black actors for this role. Ebony. Literally any actor whose Fenty Foundation shade is 430 and up should have this opportunity. Okeo's wig. So it seems like Will's production team is involved. Maybe we need to have a discussion on actors using their production companies to wrongly class themselves in a role. They know they shouldn't be playing. Final tweet, colorism, colorism, colorism. So basically what we're saying here is he's not black enough. Not black enough. It sure seems like African Americans are really concerned with race. And this isn't new, folks. I had an albino black guy that served with me in 1990. He was a violent kid. Because the problem was he read Malcolm X. And he wasn't accepted in the black community and he wasn't accepted in the white community. Not because whites didn't like him. It's because he didn't like white people. So he was one confused motherfuckers. He hated white people, called them all pepper, peckerwoods. And he wasn't accepted by black people because he was too light-skinned to be considered black. Colorism is a big thing on the black community. Remember, people said Obama wasn't a black president because he had a white mother. And it always makes me spin to, I do not walk around the world thinking about people's color, race, age. I don't give a fuck about any of that shit. But it seems like a lot of black people walking around and it's all about race. Well, that's not a real brother because he's too light-skinned. So Will Smith now isn't accepted to play a dark-skinned black man. Okay. Blacklist and biases. Computer game company accuses discrimination. A computer game job applicant claims his final interview was made up of nothing but political questions, nothing about an actual job skill. A developer for game program Dragon Punk lamented via their official Dragon Punk game Twitter on March 3rd that most game developers don't openly discuss the biases of the game industry because they don't want to get blacklisted. This unnamed developer tweeted a copy of a rejection letter from Gearbox claiming that the final interview featured only political questions, not a single game or technical question. The computer game industry is just as much political minefield of bias as the rest of big tech. Conservatives and even centrists who try to join find themselves at the mercy of liberals and those who agree with them. One employee, HBS Kiva from game studio Hairbrain Schemes, warned if you look up your Twitter activity and see that you're a shit goblin, we're not even going to bother contacting you. That's not just social justice warriors like me. No company wants the hassle. One of Google hiring managers cited in the James Damore lawsuit expressed a starkly similar opinion. If you express a dunderheaded opinion about religion, politics, or social justice, it turns out I am allowed to think you're a halfwit. I'm perfectly within my right to mentally categorize you in the dickhead box. Yes, I maintain mentally and not yet publicly. The unnamed developer of Dragon Punk Game accused Gearbox of bias elaborated further that he, she tried to take a centrist approach to the needlessly point pointless political interview questions. The developer alleged, I was trying to be honest, but tactfully take a centrist approach. Apparently that wasn't enough for them. 
For, former Blizzard developer who's produced demon-slaying classic Diablo 2, sorry, that's a lot of Ds, asked if it was political, isn't that illegal to screen for? To which Dragon Punk Game replied, yes, and so is discrimination. But now they just, not a good cultural fit. <clears throat> you can literally rule anyone out by saying that. Also, who would never ever hire me again if I went to court? Another user responded that by lamenting the modern state of game industry, which allows identity to trump actual merit, politics are 100% ruining the industry, every industry. It shouldn't matter what side you're on. The only thing that should matter is your skills. And the only thing positive about this, these are young people. Surprisingly more and more becoming pro-life. Surprisingly more and more opting out of the hipster bullshit because you're never woke enough and I hate going back to it it doesn't matter once you hit the intersectionality scorecard folks you're nobody you're negative 5 already because you're white you're negative 2.5 if you're male you can make it up with every SJW cause you want you're not going to get to the we care about you because you're not one of them Black journalist group wants civil right audit of CNN for racial hiring deficiencies. Let me see if I can get to it. Uh, a special media monitoring list and four-person team from NABJ will perform further research and analysis of CNN diversity, inclusion, and equity practices, publicly reported and identified deficiencies in hiring a diverse workforce and news decision capabilities. Everybody else has scheduled a meeting. Zucker said we haven't had time for it. But if you really look at CNN, other than Lemon, what do you see? White. Even worse, white male. Yeah. Then this wizard of a fucking tweet. Damn racist white people and their damn shuffles card. Earthquake warning. Ian Miles Chong. The NAACP says the earthquake warning signs are part of a long history of white supremacy aimed at forcing black people to move out of neighborhoods. This is from News 4 San Antonio. Yeah. That's a thing. But it's not the craziest for today. The craziest is this. Woke America has come for Horton Hears a Who. Arguing that it reinforces white supremacy. Oh, really? Academics must be running out of books to ban. Diversity experts are so desperate to kill the darlings of children literature that they'll write their own fiction. Just to smear Dr. Seuss. Just look at the title of a study published in a peer-reviewed literature journal last month. The cat is out of the bag. Orientalism, anti-blackness, and white supremacy in Dr. Seuss's children books. And this is not the first time we've done it. So now it's Horton Hears a Who. That is a racist trope. Uh. But then there's a positive. The positive is, we covered a couple podcasts ago, a Muslim higher on the intersectionality scorecard lady filed a petition with 600 other kids against a Birmingham school that was pushing the LGBT training and they didn't want it and they fought against it. The Guardian, Birmingham school stops LGBT lessons after parents protest. I want to say that again. The Guardian. Because our media didn't cover it. 
They don't want to cover it because it's against their fucking intersectionality. They can't say that Muslims are pretty fucking Islamophobic or homophobic, transphobic. I mean, they're seriously trans and homophobic. They kill people that are homophobic or trans. Yeah. That was not in our media. That was in the Guardian. But good for them. Because once again, I don't have Islamophobia. I have a Islamistophobia. It's a big difference. I don't give a fuck if you're Muslim. I don't care that you study and preach and love Islam. Good for you. I respect that. It's hard for me to even acknowledge how, or not acknowledge, but understand how you could be that devoted. I, I was always in awe of the Muslims around me. To pray that many times a day. I wish I could. I pray twice a day. But Islamists who want to wipe out Israel and wipe out America and hate everybody and chop people's fucking heads off and throw gays off roofs. Yeah, I got a problem with that. I got a big time problem with that. But in this case, the parents are right. It's not the school's district. Right to push that shit on kids. It shouldn't be happening. They can go to high school and college and get brainwashed into your fucking bullshit. Which brings me to my favorite section and why I've been talking fast and jamming this fucking podcast down your neck. Captain Marvel. It took me forever to find the actual speech she did. But then I found an interview where she tries to pretend she doesn't remember what it was. I'm sure prodded by her studio. And things are not going good for Captain Marvel. Let's listen to her bullshit. I am so grateful to be up here (laughs) to receive this award so I cannot thank my family (laughs) and my team and instead talk about something that's really important to me. I'd like to bring to light an aspect of our industry that has risen to the surface in the last week. (sighs) It's an issue that's been bubbling since like really the whole time, but this issue has a solution that each one of us in this room can participate in. So earlier this week, USC Annenberg's Inclusive Initiative released findings that 67% of the top critics reviewing the 100 highest grossing movies in 2017 were white males. Less than a quarter were white women and less than 10% were unrepresented men. Only 2.5% of those top critics were women of color. So you're probably thinking right now, like, wow, that super doesn't represent the country that I live in, and that's because that's true. This is a huge disconnect from the U.S. population breakdown of 30% white men, 30% white women, 20% men of color, and 20% women of color. So why does that matter? Why am I up here giving you statistics when I could be spending this time talking about my publicist? Um, Lindsay, who I love, and thank you so much for bringing Jesse up here and making me super emotional while I rattle off percentages of people. On top of all of this, am I saying that I hate white dudes? No, I'm not. But what I am saying is, is that if you make a movie that is a love letter to women of color, There is an insanely low chance a woman of color will have the chance to see your movie and review your movie. And this is also not to mention 
other people besides white dudes like Star Wars and would love the opportunity to do a set visit. And I'm also saying I don't hate white dudes. I'm just saying we need to be conscious of our bias and do our part to make sure that everyone is in the room. It really sucks that reviews matter, but reviews matter. Good reviews out of festivals give small independent films a fighting chance to be bought and seen. Good reviews help films gross money. Good reviews slingshot films into awards contenders. A good review can change your life. It changed mine. Our industry has gone through a major growth. Thank you for clapping for my good reviews. I love that review. <laughs> it's like so excited to be like, yeah, that one time. <laughs> Our industry has gone through a major growth. We are expanding to make films that better reflect the people that buy movie tickets. But they are not allowed enough chances to read public discourse on these films by the people that these films were made for. I do not need a 40-year-old white dude to tell me what didn't work for him about A Wrinkle in Time. It wasn't made for him. I want to know what that film meant to women of color, to biracial women, to teen women of color, to teens that are biracial. And for the third time, I don't hate white dudes. These are just facts. These are not my feelings. And I'm really sorry, Lindsay. Please don't kill me. As some of you know, I immediately jumped on to Frances's brilliant words, inclusion writer, and this was way before she had bumper stickers for her iPad, because I know that this means that my work will be shown, digested, discussed by a variety of people, not just a singular perspective. I want to know what my work means to the world, not a narrow view. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> The one thing I love about you is you had a great story happen recently about inclusivity and diversity in press. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a white male, and I, I, I commended you completely on that. But Thanks. most people, when that article dropped, it was headlines that were completely taking you out of context. Like, oh, okay. she, wa like, like she wants like, only, like no white men at like, press junk, which is not what you were saying. And, I, and people need to read the articles to actually find <laughs> out the context of what you were saying. Yeah. But as an actor, when you have to say something like that, do you worry about how things get twisted? And for audiences who only do read headlines, can you clarify what you were saying? Because I think it's awesome what you're oh, doing, thanks. and I hope that more actors do it. I, I mean, it's hard for me to comment on that because I don't, like, I don't know what the headlines were or yeah. what was said or what I said or what people think that I said. Um, all that I know is, is like, I'm, what I'm looking for is to bring more seats up to the table. Yep. No one's getting their chair taken away. There's not less seats at the table. There's just more seats at the table. Yeah. That's it. I love that you're doing that. And please, I hope every actor sees what you're doing and does it more because we need more diversity. Thank you. I appreciate I that. Thank you. Now so the media, as we saw last podcast, the podcast before, and still now, are still spinning the fuck out of this, trying to make it a thing. Variety, as a Cree warrior who lands on Earth and discovers she's not who she thought, Brie Larson lights up a Marvel superheroine film from within. Another article, Captain Marvel, superhero of intersectional feminism? And that was a anti-her fucking article. With 68 reviews and Rotten Tomatoes currently gives Captain Marvel a 91% approval. As evident by a score, most of the reviewers found the film to be largely a success. Though even those positive reviews usually score the film as a mediocre rating of 3.5 or 4 out of 5. A few pull quotes from positive reviews provided by the review site. Now this is before the release. These are reviewers that are allowed to 
pre-screen the movie. Captain Marvel takes a whole a while to find its pace, but when it does, it doesn't disappoint. Attitudes Joe Passmore. A four. This movie is no Black Panther because she's a white woman. Or, if we're expanding on the field of comparison, Wonder Woman because she's a white woman. Wonder Woman was a woman of color. Luckily, Captain Marvel doesn't have to be better than all of the MCU previous films to be something enjoyable. Den of Geeks, a 3.5. Survives a bumpy ride of origin story tropes and sci-fi jibber-jabber to become a supernova of superhero movie. Sure to shake up the MCU. 3.5. That is from Matt's Movie Reviews. Uh, screen rants Molly Freeman. Captain Marvel has all the usual MCU humor action with a few surprises and plenty of girl power. Moments in Lar- Larson's strong performance. Uh, four. Captain Marvel mostly plays like a perfectly solid addition to the massive commercial franchise. It's fun and breezy, but also a tad familiar. No score from Tim Gerson of Screen International. Liberating, cute, forgettable, movie nation, Roger Moore, a 2.5. <laughs> then there's some critical stuff. Hollywood reporters Todd McCarthy. The picture's not dull exactly, just mundane, marked by unimaginative plotting, cut-rate villains, a bland visual style, and a lack of elan. No score. The first female-led movie of MCU deserves more. Associated Prince Lindsay Barr, a 2.5. Only the most dedicated Marvel fans will follow this, Captain. Newsday, a 2. New York Post, a 1.5. The character, even when kicking ass, is a total bore. Yeah. AV Club, a C. It's everything you might expect a sci-fi superhero movie to be. If you didn't haven't seen one in a long time. <laughs> and then, there was this trope that went out. That said that he's a ra- these people are racist because they inserted smiles because the trailer and every poster, she's not smiling. She never smiles in the movie. Actually, anybody who's negative on the movie says she doesn't do any facial expressions, even though Variety says she's so expressionist. And then we find out, right before the release of more reviews... Matt Walsh, Rotten Tomato gives Captain Marvel a 90% grade, even though some of the positive reviews use descriptions like forgettable, not top tier, and a work in progress. And they changed their rating. You could not rate the movie. They didn't go all the way with if you're a, you know, a man. You had to have seen the movie. So unless you saw the movie, you could not rate it. Because they wanted to make this thing a thing. All right? So then we start getting the pre-screens, more pre-screens, and the day of screens. We have AP, review, Captain Marvel is an extraordinary hero, but her film introduction is entirely average. The dream of the 90s alive with underwhelming Captain Marvel. Uh, we got this covered. Screen crush. While Captain Marvel should have created a seismic superhero landing crater of the entrance, Marvel's first female-led standalone is more a radio dub nostalgia mixtape. Anna Borden. <laughs> the greatest strength of Captain Marvel is also its bigness, biggest weakness. Captain Marvel deserves a better movie. Captain Marvel sputters and sparks, but never gets to escape velocity. IndieWire. Captain Marvel review a massively disappointing introduction to Carol Danvers. 
And then we have all the womenists, the feminists, going in here. Mary Sue, all the negative reviews of Captain Marvel from men. Adam Trahan, except they're not, though. If you're going to lie about something, don't lie about something that can be refuted with one look at Rotten Tomatoes. Abject, demonstrable lies. As of five minutes ago, among RT's female top critics, the film is rated as 62.5 fresh. Five positive reviews, three negative. Versus the 68.75 fresh rating, 11 positive, five negative. It holds with RT's top male critics. P.S. I'm looking forward to the film. Then another one of those tweets. This one is from some feminist named Allison Klein Verified. So if you're a male critic reading this thread and you've asked to write a review of Captain Marvel for the major publication, consider saying, you know, I think I should sit this one out and make room for women's voices. Then another article on the Photoshop. It's going to be a long six months of stories like this are causing national outrage. Or this week, Disney's released a teaser trailer to their latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Captain Marvel, which is due March 8th. Marvel looks to going all in, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Feige has stated that the character will be a face of the MCU for the foreseeable future. However, after watching the trailer for the film, many people online criticized the lead actress Brie Larson for having a disinterested and seemingly unhappy face the majority of trailers. So in response to the trailer backlash, TF Monkey YouTube decided to take it upon himself to Photoshop a smile to some of the promo pictures for the film. Now, when I reported earlier, it was just tweets. No, no, no. Actual newspapers cover it. Vox. Not even Captain Marvel is safe from the smile more cat call. Oh, that's a cat call? I thought cat calls would look at your ass. Shake it, baby. Back that shit up. Now it's... Man, you should smile more. That's a cat call. That's very interesting. Nylon. Captain Marvel promos were photoshopped to make Brie Larson smile. Vice. Brie Larson was told to smile, so she put smiles on Marvel dudes. L.A. De Bible. Brie Larson update male superhero after Captain Marvel fans told her to smile. IndieWire. Smile. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Jesus Christ. And then the fucking avalanche. Captain Marvel tanks on Rotten Tomatoes hours after the premiere. It was hit with tens of thousands of audience reviews just after the film opened in theaters Friday, scoring a dismal audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 33% as of 8 a.m. The film had a 33% audience score for more than 58,000 reviews. So this cannot be a concerted effort by all the white sexists who catcall and say you should smile, who are probably just going, oh, it's all about a cat, because that was the initial shit. The Hollywood Reporter, the outlet, credited the low audience rating to trolls sandbagging the film, noting the numbers of reviews in a matter of mere hours for Captain Marvel opening is more than a total audience score review for Avengers Infinity War. In midday Friday, the audience score peaked to 35%, but held at 81% from real critics. 
very little to get excited about here. His villain is the best character in the movie. Brie Larson is awful miscast in the lead role. Thumbs up for Mendelssohn and Jackson as a lead in the end game. It's both inadequate and unnecessary. Reads one review. Another reviewer. Wasn't expecting much going in, and that's what I got. Not much. Brie Larson was a poor choice for the lead. She's just not believable. I was bored all too often watching it. Another review. A boring and bland story focused on a character with neither personality nor a single weakness. Rotten Tomatoes recently amended their system and made sure you actually did it. We're disabling the comment function prior to a movie release date. Unfortunately, we have seen an uptick in non-constructive input, sometimes bordering on trolling, which we believe is a disservice to our general readership, blah, 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 blah. While feminists in the media invested in the female-driven film success have claimed that the bad reviews of the film have come at the hands of women hating male film critics, Captain Marvel has taken some heat from female movie critics, too. For example, as noted by the Daily Wire's James Barrett, a female Film critic from Reeling Reviews, Laura Clifford, gave the film a C- and criticized feminist actress Larson. I found the whole film to be a muddle of special effects, disjointed writing, and lack of humor. The humor, especially, is built into the other Marvel films, and I wonder why there is none in Captain Marvel. The answer, I think it is, in the film star Brie Larson, a hot shot fighter pilot and kick-ass warrior Carol Danvers. She is okay in the action sequences, which are many, but it's too serious an actor for the character. This is a real problem for a hero in a franchise known for its mirth. It is telling that there are eight credited writers making this a kitchen sink of cliches. (laughs) Another one, Megan Basham, Captain Morrow, she bashed it for its girl power pandering and what she said in Ann Brody described the movie, a dark and empty And then we find out Brie Larson is also on the other warpath, Mike Guys. Yeah. When it comes to pay, Larson seems to be doing okay. She'll make $5 million for playing Captain Marvel in film, blah, blah, blah. As for microphone issues, she says she now mics herself in a trailer because all men are sexist pigs. You know, I've only said this like once on the show. Only once. I said it like in the first year. And I promised... I wouldn't say it again. But it's hard for me not to say on this. Brie Larson, just be a lesbian. Just go be a lesbian. Come out. You clearly hate men. If a Mike guy is sexually harassing you, if somebody's saying, put a smile on your face, which I say to everybody and people say to me because this is a nice thing to say, hey, put a smile on your face. Maybe you're taking this whole world a little too deep. I mean, seriously. Get a fucking grip. Go be a lesbian. Just go all in and give up on males because you fucking hate them. But it's it, this is just perfect. And I know I'm covering a lot, but it's perfect. Just a perfect example of what our media is, what our society is. I think Ben Shapiro says it the best. Facts don't care about your feelings. And that's what this is about. We want this. We want a woman superhero. But if it's a shitty fucking movie, what do you want people to say? It's great. And then when you get called out that it's a shitty fucking movie, it's just trolls and sexist. All those white men hate this woman. Well, guess what? Number one rule in business anywhere on the planet, from a taco stand to a movie company. 
you don't insult your customers. And that's how she started. This is just exactly what happened to Sicario 1. I didn't see it for years. And then I loved it. Because that other British bitch said America sucks. So you go out the gate telling everybody this, that, and your politics. Expect society to react. And the problem that really bothers me the most is when non-progs react and boycott and disparage something that you really care about. You call it trolls. Well, if that's the case, most of Twitter progressive style is just trolls. You're all trolls. You've been trolling Chick-fil-A from a statement from fucking 2012. I know I'm yelling, but 2012. Get over it. Not everybody's for gay marriage, but you're still trying to punish Chick-fil-A, people that eat Chick-fil-A. You won't let Chick-fil-A come to your cities, your campuses. Jesus fucking Christ, if that isn't trollish, I don't know what is. They hire gay people. There's been no proof they don't hire gay people, so why do you fucking care if a CEO has an opinion? You guys give your opinions on everything, even when it has nothing to do with anything. You reap what you sow. She sowed, I don't want white people, white males going to this movie, rating this movie, and anybody who puts a mic on me is a sexist, you know, they're women. Well, guess what? You're going to get trolled. And from everything I've read on this movie, it's blasé. It's a we want to make a girl power movie, but we didn't think it out very well. And the cat's the star. So, there it is. These are crazy crimes, and then we're going into lighter fare. Driver arrested for 17th DUI pleaded, pleaded to DUI in the first. This is in Tennessee. 17. And then I found this article on local, and then it went to CNN, which kind of surprised me. Um, Devastating church fire doesn't burn a single Bible. This is amazing. I said this to my atheist kids and said, so there's no God. And my daughter, God bless her, it was so funny. She shoots back to me, Brittany in North Dakota. Yeah, God burns down a church, but he leaves his calling card. And I thought that was really funny because it's true. So um, I think it's neat because this isn't the first time. We, which my mother reminded me, had a fire in our house and the Bible was in a cupboard. Everything had smoke damage except our Bible. Everything in that kitchen. The whole wall caught up. The cupboards caught up. We had to paint the whole downstairs. It was, it was uh, government quarters. But the Bible came out unscathed. So, yeah, there it is. So, we're going to a lighter fare. This is YouTube channel React, grandparents' favorite song. And I thought this shit was pretty funny. This is an anthem right here. Oh, I'm not going to treat you for lunch. So 
today we do have some grandchildren matched up with their actual grandparents, but right. also we have some teens from our Teens React cast and elders from our Elders React cast mm -hmm. together today. Aww. Oh, fortunate. We're so lucky. I know. So you're my grandpa today. Well, okay. I could be your. I got many <laughs> grandchildren, many children, so I'm used to that. This is my bestest friend slash. Grandma slash Lola. Grandma first before mom. Yeah, I think so. This is my youngest grandson, Brayden. Oh, my name is Brayden? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I'm old. <laughs> we have teens and their grandparents here, and the teens will be tested on their grandparents' favorite music from when they were teenagers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I can barely guess, like, the top 100 right now. <laughs> most of the songs I listen to, uh, they still play today. You oh, know, okay. It's a classic, most of them. I expect that you get everything you listen <laughs> Get it together. Oh, gosh. Get it. <laughs> That's a lot of expectations. <laughs> I have never heard this song. You should know that. I'm sick. <laughs> okay. Wait, I did a dance to this in yeah. first grade. You, this is yours? That's mine. I like it. It's groovy. That riff. Go off. <laughs> I think it's been playing with many movies. Yeah, this okay. This sounds like a movie track. <laughs> it's a fun song. Like uh -huh. it's definitely one of those like you can just get up and dance to it. Uh -huh. Do you know it? I do not know it. I don't know the song at all. <laughs> I do not know it. Oh, I'm not gonna treat you for lunch. Rock around the clock, but I don't know the artist. I don't know who it's by. And is it like rock around the, the clock? The, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is rock around the clock by Bill Haley and his comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Not nice to know. I'm gonna start listening to that now. <laughs> Love that guitar. Ooh. <laughs> I love this song. I used to dance uh, with all the time. This was one of the first rock and roll songs played publicly on the radio. Before that was mostly crooners and slower songs, romantic songs. Yeah. This is this shook us up. Love me tender. <laughs> love me true. I think I know this. I think I know that voice. It's my song. I love it. This is one of the slower ones. For my darling, I love you. And I always will. That was nice. He has such a nice voice, though. Yes, uh-huh. Do you know it? I do not know it. Elvis, but I just don't know the song title. Elvis Presley. I don't know the title, though. I Will Always Love You by like Elvis. Love Me Tender by Elvis. Elvis Presley? Love Me Tender? Ooh! This is Elvis, and it's Love Me Tender. Oh, it's Elvis. Shame, shame, shame. He's famous on the romantic, slow type of songs that you can listen to as well as sing along. I still remember the movie. You know, it was just I think it was black and white, as a matter of fact, you know, and his very first big hit song uh, through the movies uh, that he's been, you know, he was doing. I hear him playing old songs. 
especially yeah. Elvis Presley songs. Sometimes I sing songs with you, remember? Yes. Yeah, we sing songs together, and I said, let's put it on video. No, 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 Grandma. <laughs> This is yours? Oh, yeah. He doesn't know that. Oh, I know this song. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Let me something in this song. Killing me something. With his songs telling my whole life, his words killing me softly. You know why I like this song? His dad used to sing that when he was young. Your dad oh, loved dad, that song. Yeah, he still yeah. listens to it. Do you know it? Don't know the title or the song artist. Killing Me Softly. I don't know who it's by. Killing Me Softly, but I don't know the artist. Killing Me Softly, but I do not know the artist. Killing Me Softly, The Refugees. I don't think that's the artist, though. So this is Killing Me Softly, and it's by Roberta Flack. Oh, okay. Right. Now, this is a little bit later now than the first mm -hmm. two. I still remember that song that I, um, I think I was in the first year in high school, and they play this all over the campus. Along the way, yeah. I like this song. In this great future, you know I have to know who this is. a nice vibe. I don't know this song at all. You know the type of music, right? Definitely, it's reggae. Okay, you got that, reggae. you got part of it. And do you know it? I don't know the song title. But, I, but I know Bob Marley. Bob Marley. And I don't know the title, though. It's Bob Marley, huh? I just don't know the song, the song name. No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley. No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley. Yay. <laughs> okay, okay, I got it, I got it. So this is No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley. Whoa! Let's go. I've actually never heard this song, just the voice. Yeah. It sounded like Bob Marley. As far as reggae, Bob Marley is my favorite artist. And I love, that's one of my favorite songs. When we have like family functions, like this is something that plays constantly and I love this song. I try to stay within my roots, mm. you know, because my dad is Jamaican. So yeah, I love it. My grandparents played that a lot growing up. Yeah, it's more, I think it's more on the hippie side, which makes sense because my grandparents were hippies. I was married with kids working. I wasn't listening to the songs like I had before. I missed a whole spot there. You know what my generation would say? What? It'd be like that sometimes. Be like that sometimes? It'd be like that, that sometimes. It'd be like that sometimes. Oh, that we know. I think they're touring again. Dance, you can dance. You can dance. Oh. 
disco. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Definitely your song. Course, I know yeah. that was your song. Oh. I was so happy to sing this song when I turned 17. I felt like this was my golden year. Do you know the song title and artist? Dancing Queen. I don't know the artist. I just know it's from Mamma Mia. Dancing Queen. Honestly, I have no idea who it's by. Dancing Queen. Yeah. I don't know who it's by, though. Dancing Queen by ABBA. That was Dancing Queen by ABBA. This is Dancing Queen by ABBA. ABBA, okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard of ABBA. Yeah. I've never listened to their music. So. They're very nice. You know, they're a European type of group. It's a little different than the American style. You love all the ABBA songs, like, especially, like, and your favorite movie is literally Mamma Mia. And I've seen that movie probably like a hundred billion times. This is excellent. This is it brings back memories. And they're all songs that like I yeah. still and know. And I'm I so grow proud of you that you would <laughs> know you. these songs. Good job. seems like more of my speed for music, you know? It's like upbeat, it's easy to dance to, and to probably remember, memorize the lyrics. Do you know it? I do not know this at all. Good Vibrations by the Beatles. Good Vibrations, and then it's the Beach Boys. Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. This is Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Yes, yeah, so even I know that. The Beach Boys were huge. This is Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Oh, I know the Beach Boys. Beach Boys. I like them. I've never I heard like the song. Them. They were from Southern California. They were surfing, and I was a surfer, so that... I grew up in Santa Monica, so we surfed all the time. You're well-rounded in terms of all kinds of music. Thank you. Good for you. Yeah, my, my grandparents loved the Beach Boys. This is an anthem right here. It is my song. That's my pick. I love this song. This is a classic. Oh, yeah. This is uh, got it all. Soul and yeah. a beat and message and, you know, yeah. it's just terrific. It's got it all. It does have yeah. a message. It does. Yeah, it's very empowering. Do you know it? Sadly, I don't know the artist because I suck at knowing stuff, but the song is Respect. <laughs> <laughs> respect. And I actually don't know who it's by. Respect by Aretha Franklin. Respect and Aretha Franklin. It's Respect by Aretha Franklin. Franklin. This is Respect by Aretha Franklin. That's one of those ones that, like, whenever it comes yeah. on, everyone wants to sing and dance to it. Just great song. All her songs. Aretha Franklin. I really miss her. It is a good song because, you know, we do need the respect. Mm. And sometimes we have to ask for it. So True. It's good. I got a lot to learn. <laughs> I need to actually, I always tell myself, I need to go back to classics because if it wasn't for the classics, a lot of the artists I like now wouldn't even exist. I probably wouldn't go out of my way to listen to all this music. Like, I could still appreciate it being a classic. Like, and I, I know, like, I have some classics of my time, so, like, I know he could appreciate, like, Mo Bamba and stuff like that. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
makes us feel really closer. And then sometimes I tell them the story about that music. Are you proud of him for knowing? Oh, very. So I'm getting lunch now, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Thanks for watching Do They Know It on the React channel. Subscribe for new shows. Every day. Hit that like button if you like this episode. Bye! Hey guys, I'm Katie, a React channel producer. Thank you so much for watching this episode. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter so you can be the first to know of casting notices and fun merch. Bye! You, you seriously need to rethink your life choices if, if that's what you think. I mean, uh, uh, folks... Do you not think the federal government would be pushing in every country if the world was really ending in 12 years? I mean, have none of you watched Deep Impact? I mean, seriously, folks. Come on. <laughs> then other things that I thought were funny. Jim Acosta, the White House briefing room, as it's basically been for months. We see White House staffers taking pictures in here from time to time. There was one key official doing just that tonight, but it's not really used for briefings anymore. Dear Diary, the world said. Jim Acosta is so pissed off because he can't get his FaceTimes. I'm all about it. I, I think the White House briefing was just a kabuki theater for reporters to improve their liberal SJW status and maybe get extra points on the intersectionality scorecard, but they're not going to. Ian Sams, another crazy story. Crazy story that just happened in SC. Oh, well, it's funny I said that. A woman in a mega hat showed up to Camellia Harris event in Myrtle Beach. She came over to Camellia after the event, talked with her for a minute, swear to God. She then took off her mega hat and told Camellia she isn't with Trump anymore. I, ever the flack, was of course terrified how this interaction was going to go. But lo and behold, Cody Johnson. I believe this story about a Trump fan, fan in a mega hat fundamentally, fundamentally changing her mind about the last several years after talking to one of the president's perceived far left enemies for a minute. Another person. And then she got up out of her wheelchair and walked for the first time in years. Praise Gamala! <laughs> that didn't happen. That doesn't happen. You wouldn't let a mega hat wearer come to that event, you jackass! You can't say it's the fucking severe. It is a sign of white supremacy and racism. And then say that person took it off and that we want them to vote for us. Oh, okay. Then the National Weather Service totally fucked up, but the funny thing is it's stuck in my head and then I fucked up. Daylight savings time begins Sunday morning. Remember to set your clocks back, you motherfuckers. No, it's spring forward, folks. Gee, many crickets. They fucked me up. I went and did it. And then I caught myself. I had to go back and redo all the clocks. Yeah, there it was. Then John Durant tweets this one, which I think is classic. It sums up the left. Expo West 2019, keto-friendly, gluten-free pizza with CBD-infused oat milk cheese and adaptogenic mushrooms with fermented prebiotic, probiotic, vegan veggies. That's a real pizza, I guess. I had to look up keto. I didn't know what that was. Wow. And then this lady tweeted, which surprised me, and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Wisconsin. Pornhub, I guess a website for porn, top relative searches by women when compared to women elsewhere in the U.S. In Milwaukee, 
was what Wisconsin looked up. But some of these, some of these, some of these are just wow. Alaska, rough sex. Japanese in California, glory hole in Oregon, Hanta porn in Washington, lesbian scissoring, ebony threesome in Florida, lesbian scissoring was Texas. My state, ebony lesbians is the number one search for women. Yeah. You can search that online to find out your state, but, um, well, Clifton, New Jersey, which I forgot to give my shout out. Hey, Clifton. I see you. You came up on the stats heavy this week. A lot of listens, so thank you. Even if you hate me, thanks for listening and hating me. I don't know what you know who the user was. It just popped on my stats. So it's Dominican. Yeah, for your states, it's Dominican. So to our This Is America segment, and once again, that's the last soundbite of the show, the worst soundbite, and just evil, evil people that are in our media usually. And it's Chris Cuomo. Alex Trebek announced this week that he has stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And while he had ashes on his forehead, because you know Cuomo is a Catholic who believes in killing babies when they're alive and says it just codifies Roe, okay, he was pandering that he's a Catholic with ashes on his head for Ash Wednesday. And he turned Alex Trebek's cancer into politics. Let's give it a listen and then all vomit in our mouth just a little bit. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. In a time that is all about what is keeping us apart, we got tough news today about someone who has always brought America together, literally for decades. I don't care what your race, color, creed, gender, bank account level. You've watched Jeopardy. Since 1984, Alex Trebek has been the smartest guy in our living rooms, teaching us, more importantly, bringing us together. He's a major asset to our culture, not just to the game show. In a time of shallow beliefs and rampant truth abuse in our politics and beyond, every night he makes facts first. We need him now more than ever. So, Mr. Trebek, fight as you have never fought before. Do everything you can, and please know, You are respected for all the right reasons by all of us. We are with you, and we wish you well. I mean, what the fuck? Why do do liberals have to make everything political? The man's going to die. Stage 4 pancreatic. I had a guy I worked with. It was the most gruesome death. Just gruesome. It's just not Cuomo the piece of shit. Newsweek. Elderly Americans are dying without getting to read Mueller's report, and they're not happy about it. Who who the fuck writes an article like that? Who? I I just don't understand. Why can't you leave some things to be sacred and not make everything political, Chris Cuomo, liberals, the media... 
I, I just, I'm almost speechless. I don't even know what to say anymore because I just keep seeing this stuff and I just go, wow. I mean, this week, to go along with this, because Cuomo's such a Catholic, supposedly, people in an Alabama town that got wiped out by a tornado were bringing Bibles to get signed. And the media made a big deal. Matthew Dow, I don't know what his worst commentary on Trump actually signing Bibles in Alabama or the people asking him to sign Bibles. Lordy Moses. But Michelle Malkin brings out uh, Truman signed notes and admiral books of Psalms, autographs of Clinton Gore, Carter Mondale, and Bible collector Stephen Kosell. Heads explode over Trump signing Bibles. Yeah. I mean, I don't say it's right, but everything, everything's politics. Everything. And to close on a previous This Is America, Mike Pence isn't a decent He's insidious. Cynthia Nixon was given an article in WAPO on March 2nd. Cynthia Nixon is an actor and advocate for progressive causes. Correction. March 6, 2018, this op-ed originally misstated that when Vice President Pence was president of Indiana Policy Review Foundation, the group published an article urging businesses not to hire gay people. The reference article concerned whether gay journalists should be permitted to cover matters related to homosexuality without disclosing their sexual orientation. The inaccuracy sentence has been removed. Additionally, the op-ed should have noted that Pence's spokesman had disputed reports that he has ever supported conversion therapy and also that he played a leading role in Trump administration effort to ban transgender people from the military. Because you know why? None of it's true. None of it. Everything she wrote about to disparage a Christian man is lies. Lies that are able to live because the media doesn't correct it, doesn't stop this op-ed from going out. They put editor notes that nobody reads. It is nothing but an evil, evil person talking about something they hate when they know nothing about it, but they've been told they must hate this person. And the Christian bigotry goes on. It's okay. Ian Omar can hate Jews. Ian Omar can be an anti-Semitic pile of human garbage. She's allowed to then rewrite a fucking censure, basically, saying that anti-Semitism is bad, which they already voted on once, by the way, and make it about white supremacists who did nothing, and Stephen King, who's been removed from his committees for being inappropriate, and as stated, will not be reelected. And she can go around high-fiving and make funny jokes about it because we made it about those other people, and you can keep writing lying fucking op-eds and disparaging Mike Pence. Because he's a Christian. They don't give a fuck about Christians. Christian bigotry is okay. Chris Cuomo does it. All the time. Catholic bigotry. Okay. You can hate on Catholics. Even though it's homosexuals within the Catholic ranks that are doing the evil deeds. We don't talk about that. We talk about a Catholicism as evil. It's fucking disgusting. It's disgusting that everything I just talked about for the last three hours and 15 minutes 
Nobody corrected anything. No media member came out and corrected any of it. Nobody ever said, AOC, you're full of shit. Nobody ever said, Eon Omar is a fucking, a fucking anti-Semite. She's a full-fledged Islamist. Her district is full of the highest per capita ISIS members in America. Nobody talked about Tlaib going to CARE. Nobody talked about CARE pushing everybody to do a different type of fucking bill to condemn hatred for everybody that didn't never mentioned Jewish. And nobody called out Clyburn for basically saying what white supremacists say. Oh, the Holocaust doesn't mean anything. That's what he said. But he's black, so he can say whatever the fuck he wants. And our media lets him. They didn't even call out Omar for bashing the anointed one, the dear leader, Barack Hussein Obama. No. They just let it ride. Because she's a woman Islamist. She's a bigger ally. And once again, facts don't matter. They just don't matter to these people. Truth does not matter. Nothing that I have done on the last 10 podcasts shows that the media or the left even give a fuck about truth. They just care about unfettered power. They want to run everything and they'll do anything to accomplish it. There was no critical writing on HR1. It's waved off just like born alive abortion bills. It's codifying Roe. It's codifying the right, the Constitution. It's all about codifying. Even though the details show something totally opposite. It's fucking embarrassing. Seriously embarrassing. And more and more, we're going to have these crazy fucking women. People aren't going to procreate because they think the world's ending in 12 years. And everything the left's doing, from abortion to is it morally right to have a baby? That's why they need these illegal voters. Because without them, their side's not procreating. They aborted the highest percentage of African American people. So maybe that's why they've ignored African Americans and gone straight on to transgenders. Talk about it on the show. Maybe that's the reason. Because they're killing them all in PPFA and they need Mexican babies, Honduran babies, Guatemala babies. And they need them all to vote at the age of 16. I just encapsulated the whole show in one rant and it's fucking pathetic. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments about the show or suggestion for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Fop Podcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out our Facebook page at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T or our Twitter page at F-O-P Tony Reed. I'm probably going to keep the Facebook page as I was talking. I can go under my uh, FOP Tony Reed login because I'm going to kill my personal. So we'll keep the Facebook page running. Um, 
I just got to work around how I delete and keep, but it'll still be there. And from now on, I'll start pushing in some more stuff. I'm also going to be pushing more stuff on our Twitter page because the website is officially dead. Um, as I've been talking about for months, it's gone. I deactivated it the other day, so the um, web address doesn't exist. So we'll keep working on that. Our next podcast is going to be, uh, we're going to shoot for Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Thursday Thursday will work. That'll give me some time to get some stuff together. It'll be a free-for-all show. It'll be on the 14th of February, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, have a safe week. Weather's changing. We have had tornadoes all around me. Just be safe. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And tune back in Thursday for another exciting show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.